Welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I do appreciate you for tuning on in as ever. We are in the midst of training camp, stomping ever forward towards the NFL season, which is just a peek around the corner here. We're about to start a preseason game soon. we got the scrimmage coming up here, inter-scrimmage game between the Seahawks. But we've got a little bit more news ongoing, including, I think, what is the biggest point of news in this camp, and that would be the man with three names, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, the route ninja, the man that appears to be coming in here and potentially offering an impact maybe now on the outside. We're hearing that he'll be able to maybe be mixed in there where we thought he was only going to be a slot. But on top of that, being impactful, not just being productive this rookie year, and we're going to be discussing kind of what that potentially could mean as well as kind of showing you some clips as to what he's doing and how he's doing it here on the football field in training camp and it is in a variety of different ways as far as the camp news goes since we last spoke a couple of days ago there's not a ton going on other than a few little bits blips and moments here luckily the health has been really nice will disley back on the football field uh, we've got the guys putting on the pads for the first time, which was good because now we can start to make some real true, honest assessments of what's going on down with the trench warfare, both with the offensive linemen and the defensive linemen. And there's been some good things that have stood out just looking at that already out the gate, uh, including what we were hearing on the first day being that uh, Uchenna Nuosu and Draymond Jones were reportedly living in the backfield as they got those pads on. Not too surprising as these are guys that are, I think, ready-made to be the most impactful around your front seven this year um, in the way that they're just, they're really coming on as players. There's a reason Uchenna Nuoso was given the deal he was. There's a reason Draymond's making the money he is, and that's because these guys offer you a skill set that is very hard to find. And so hearing that these guys in tandem right out the gate here uh, can look so good and so productive just first days of the pads. It's not too much to take away from, but nice to hear that they're already kind of rolling along seemingly in uh, mid-season form with that. Diaz Scridge is looking, continuing to look good uh, for those people that are hoping he can hang on and make some impact to those that are thinking that it's just a matter of time before they cut him. He is still getting a lot of decent praise out there, or at least noted for some of the plays he's made. He had a cut touchdown catch the other day. There was one clip that was a fun one the other day. I'm sure you guys saw where, Richard Sherman came to camp and Sherman's down in the end zone, standing there watching a red zone drill. So he's right on top of it. And uh, D. Eskridge runs what's called a, a zipper route. It's one of my favorite termed routes in the league where the, the guy, the receiver will first run inside as if he's going right along the line, you know, right along the line marker and then cut right back against the line marker like you'd have a zipper going up and down on the route. And Eskridge ran really explosively into the first part, made a really sharp cut, got back out into the route. Got it all done all the way there, but just couldn't seal it on the pass, couldn't make the catch. And that's a little bit of the notable things and some of the other stuff that's shown up to me with Eskridge on a few of these clips is that though it's good to hear that he is taking some steps forward and he is playing better, and I, there's no doubting the, the explosiveness, the athleticism, the, the stop and start, um, the fact that he can be like a ball carrier uh, you know, with the ball in his hands, like he can be like a running back. I, I think that's going to be something that does show up at some point probably this preseason if he can stay healthy. But uh, the, the, the little things with them playing the receiving, you know, the, the route running, I'm sure is getting better, which we're hearing, which is good. The hands was a big question with him coming out of college. Can that be improving? And then there's a play, watched a clip uh, with Julian Love down as kind of it looked like he was either playing in a quarters coverage or in a cover three on the play. But he's deep. Quarterback unfurls it deep. Eskridge is down there. 
And you see Julian Love just jump right in front of Eskridge and make the play. And Eskridge doesn't really have, as you're watching him on the clip, a good idea in tracking the ball where it is or if he can kind of stop to make that jump and go up and high point that ball. It's There's some little things with that in his game where there's no denying the the tantalizing talents that is here and there and over here. But the receiving stuff is also can be a little bit of an issue at times. And it's not those, it's not those more notable items like explosiveness shows up, you know, like run after the catch will show up. I keep going always back to that play from last year where they're playing the chargers and Eskridge is up the line of scrimmage and Gino signals him, you know, Gino does this and he's looking right at Eskridge and, and you think Eskridge sees him and gets it, but then Eskridge doesn't do something that he's supposed to be doing on the route. And immediately there afterwards, Gino was there on the sideline talking to Eskridge going, w- w- you saw me go to the head. I went, I went to the head. Why didn't you do what I was, you were supposed to do there? And so those are the parts that I'm going to be looking for specifically with Eskridge when we do get to the games, those little finer points. Um, no doubt about what he can do, though, as a player with the talent. There is a reason this guy was a second-round pick, no doubt about that. Um, Witherspoon. Devon Witherspoon finally came in and uh, looked a little bit rough before they got the pads on. Had uh, a couple, had a little bad moment there with Tyler Lockett where Lockett really cooked him up and then got him after the catch. And not even in one of those ways that you have in practice where it's got him after the catch because they're playing tag and Witherspoon tagged him and he was down. Like Lockett ran a comeback route and then outran him (laughs) down the sideline after he turned around. And uh, it was impressive play by Lockett. Lockett has looked pretty good in every clip I've seen of him. DK's looked pretty good in every clip I've seen of him. But uh, Witherspoon, once they got the pads on, reportedly you're starting to see a little bit more of his hitting ability coming into play, his physicality coming into play. Uh, this is why you want to wait to definitely they get the pads on until we get to games, till we make any real final determinations on things because you got to see them in, the, in their natural, natural way, their natural manner. But uh, it was good to see Witherspoon starting to step up. A lot of Seahawks fans were starting to inch their way over to the ledge as they're hearing all of the reports about Jalen Carter's brilliance in Eagles camp, and they're they're over there watching Witherspoon continually getting cooked up a little bit. You had the mini camp moment with JSN where he got him on a, a little pick play, rub route play uh, over the top, and then you have this play where um, Lockett got him, and the camera's got a nice clear angle on it. There's nowhere to really hide on it, on it, but I don't think anybody, again, should take anything away from it. The kid's going to be a good player in this league. There's a reason why so many... NFL vets, guys that are now analysts that, that are on YouTube or whatever, you could go through a, a litany of a list of guys. I, I released even a video on uh, Outsiders' thoughts on Devin Witherspoon, just giving a smattering of some of those guys and what they had to say with it, about him and his play. They love him. Former NFL players who watch this kid play love him, and you guys are going to love him when he gets up on the football field. I don't know what will be what with the Carter whole thing as far as that comparison is inevitable and it's not going away, but I do know that this kid's going to be a player. And he's going to help this team out this year, especially with that hitting, especially potentially with that tackling. We've worried about the run game, wondering if the run game was going to be stopped by having a really good defensive line or an improved defensive line or the Seahawks making a big swing to improve the defensive line. But we hadn't always really as considered as much. What if it comes from the back end? What if it is that we know our outside corners can tackle, our slot can tackle, our two safeties can tackle? Uh, we can go to sometimes three safety looks, as I'll talk about here in a second in another way to be able to go out and and, uh, make it happen in that fashion too, to beef it up in that manner. So there's a variety of ways to stop the run. There's a a variety of ways to to cook that goose. You don't have to necessarily just do it on the defensive line, especially considering now we're running the three, four, which is uh, one that is a little bit more a defense that leans more to a bit the back end to handle some of those duties a little bit more uh, than you would if it was a four, three defense. Uh, Kobe Bryant playing well, 
There's some moments in there where he's uh, standing tall there with with JSN and he's hanging in there well, and, and you got to give him a tip of the cap because it does not look easy. And I'm going to show you some cut-ups here where uh, JSN's route running is indeed ninja-like. And uh, this guy, Kobe, is not well-designed necessarily to be in the slot. This is an outside corner, and he's still doing a lot of that stuff here at camp. Still playing very well. But good to see him uh, also giving his, giving his own there on that battle, you know, giving us a little bit of reason to be, you know, encouraged and hopeful for him this upcoming season. Trey Brown seems to have been bouncing back now in a couple of the cutups I've seen of him. He looks pretty good now. I don't know if he's back to where he was or if he's at 100% full health or, you know, fully rehabilitated. But certainly there's enough time now you would think that that would be the case. And he's had a couple of moments of flashing. The guy I talked about a second ago that was in the single high coverage, the, the safety we signed this offseason to a two-year deal, Julian Love, who made that play, jumped high up in the air, made the pick, and made a great play on the ball. It was uh, free safety-like, just one of the reasons when they talk about Julian Love, think of him as a guy that can play free safety, strong safety, slot. He can be between all three of those positions. He's got that versatility. I think he was playing, I, I don't have the all 22 on the game, on the uh, the tape on that one, but I think on that particular play, he was indeed playing a little bit of uh, single high safety. That's probably why the quarterback was testing him deep. And said, oh, I got a strong safety back there playing single high. Let me go after him. Didn't work. So he's made a pick. He's made some other plays throughout this camp. He looks well worth the money they spent and they've got a good deal on him, but he looks like every bit the guy we hoped we were getting from the Giants in that he's going to be able to help in the run game. He can play a variety of different coverages. And finally, he can set Jamal loose. But I want to play this little tidbit, little uh, just a little, this little cut up from his interview a, a couple of days ago that he had over there on uh, ESPN when they were asking him a little bit about his role in this defense and kind of how exactly it would work. And I want to play this cut for you. Real quick one here. Yeah, I think the game's changing a little bit. These past, you know, five or so years, especially, you just try to get your best athletes on the field. Yeah. uh, Especially in our division, you look at, you you need to be able to cover tight ends, you need to be able to to stop the run. And so that leans itself to, you know, you want to have a mobile uh, type of nickel slash, you know, weak backer. um, And that has shown itself in three safeties being on the field. And so, yeah, yeah, I think we're going to try to incorporate a lot of that. It's going to require all of us to be able to, uh, multitask and play various roles and I think that's when you can really be effective so when you can have me in the box in the post kind of whatever yeah. have Jamal do that have Quandre do all because that just keeps offenses guessing and so that's hopefully the goal um, going into the season this is the modern NFL we have flirted with the thought process since Jamal's gotten here of including more three safety looks as it appears to be an evolution for where the game is going and saying this is what we think would be a, a really smart way to operate here. Why not you know, go into this direction, especially with a guy like Jamal that doesn't fit as well to doing some of the traditional safety stuff you'd ask them to do on the deep coverage stuff. He can cover up, up short, great, but you're asking him to play you know, a single high like Love was being asked to do in practice the other day when he made that pick or a, a cover two situation. That's just not Jamal's you know, bag, really. But this is also not just being done to be creative and imaginative and to be a trendsetter throughout the league from the Seahawks standpoint of things. They're doing they're going to the three safety looks for the reason that Love just gave in that you have now a situation where uh, offenses are becoming real, real strange in their, their dynamic aspect and that they can have guys that are running backs that can be receivers. They can have tight ends that can be 
wide receivers. They can run bubble screens to anybody at any position. Everything in the game now at times in the run game can be more about getting to the lateral side, getting to the width of the field more than it is about getting into the trenches, getting up and down on those B gaps, A gaps, those, those strong runs, those Marshawn-like Lynch runs. Those are kind of not as much now what it's about. And so it, that leans into needing now a defense that's more fleet of foot, less of those trash can shaped linebackers in the middle that you just you wanted them to be guys that could take on the lineman at the second level guys that would if they hit a if they're going to hit a running back the running back's going down you didn't have to worry as much about getting them out in space and that's where the game has now moved to which now you can see drives a, a similar kind of thing to the defensive side who is the player that gets hybridized to that point well it's between three players really it, it almost kind of goes between four players because it's almost a free safety strong safety linebacker slot hybridization where there's a lot of plays you're going to ask those players the free safety gets off the hook a little bit more on this than the others but you're going to get a lot of plays throughout the course of the game where those guys are all going to have kind of similar tasks technically the linebackers down there in the box closer to the action he's going to be you know maybe do typically to deal with stuff but because like i said for the aforementioned reasons that offenses are getting more more lateral more of a horizontal game than it is a vertical game that's now going to test those guys that are out there on that on the edges, on the boundaries out there, right? And that's now we're talking about more of those, uh, you know, slots, strong safeties, even the free safety from time to time. Your Fangio defense, you're sometimes going to flick that free safety up around the line of scrimmage just to kind of confuse the offenses up a little bit. So it's all just kind of a natural tendency of the defense to to flow into this direction to counter what the offense is doing. It's not just to try to think completely out the box just to be again that that team's good that's going to zig when everyone else is zagging. You're taking advantage of the talent that you have on this team. You are being forward thinking that this is where the league is kind of going at this point is more, I would say, kind of positionless at the very least between the the strong safety to linebackers positions minimum, if not a little bit of inclusion inclusion there with the uh, slot. I would put them all into a little bit of the the same bag there. So it's it, you could easily see in the future things starting to slide a little bit more towards those all kind of being the same. Hell, all of these middle linebackers in recent years are coming out of the draft at like 225. You're seeing these... The weights of 20 years ago, two got to be 240 in the middle linebacker role. And it's like it's gone down to 235, it's just 230, 225. It just keeps going lower and lower and lower. And then it'll eventually, I guess, be just hard to tell one position from the other. But he touched on one final note of this before we get over to the Jackson Smith and Jigba talk here, which is that this also is going to confuse the hell out of offenses. It's going to force offenses to have to study harder. I've hammered this nail very often, even before he said this quote about what you could do with this defense with the three safety looks, because if every every guy can basically fill the same role of the other, then you can move them around in a way where the offense doesn't have a guy they know that they're going to be able to go attack pre-snap. If I'm playing a traditional Seahawks defense, and let's say Cam Chancellor's out, and we've got a backup strong safety in there, but the whole rest of the Legion of Boom is all set. And I've got this guy out there that I can go out there and target strong safety, and I know he's not anywhere going to be near as good as Cam. Well, I know where that guy's going to be in the position of the defense leading up to the week without having to dive very deep into the film because of the old cover three looks, right? I go, I, he's going to be about right here. Sometimes he's going to buzz over here. Sometimes he's going to run robber over here. Maybe everyone, little flicksings of man, but it's those two. He's just going to be doing his little drops into zone. So you knew where that guy was going. So you knew how then you could attack around him. And it made you just more predictable. Now you had the great talent. Cam played a lot, so that didn't happen often. But that is what's happened in recent years at times when you are still in that same predictable nature and then teams can target those places that might be weak. It gets harder if you can move those pieces around every snap to different positions 
and they can't exactly build that in to know what's what prior. The coach now on the other side has to kind of guess. And then the quarterback has to guess about who's going where post-snap because now you can flip responsibilities. You could have a, a, a too high safety look and then that one of the, the safeties drives down the line of scrimmage and then the guy in the slot drives back into a cover two look. They really want to get exotic with it. It opens that door to do so in a manner that you didn't have opened up in years prior because of the nature of the scheme that you were running. So hopefully they do build in a little bit more of that uh, creativity this upcoming season. I'm definitely very, very hopeful. But let's get to the man of the hour here that I want to talk about, this diamond receiving core that this Seattle Seahawks team is now going to potentially offer to the NFL. Walker, well, like I said, uh, D, Tyler Lockett looking good as ever. Routes looking crispy. DK looking big, looking fast, looking like a man heading into his prime. But JSN, this is not a guy that I was huge upon coming out of the draft. I was happy with the pick. I love the value of the selection. I can't deny that even if I'm not over the moon on a particular guy, but I really like him, but I don't go, well, he's a star or he can play on the outside. I, I go, I see him as a very effective slot or as an Amon St. Brown was my comp on him coming out. But much like with Witherspoon, there was no denying the amount of vets that were out there in the NFL saying this kid's legit. This kid's got the goods. This kid's going to be super dynamic at the NFL level. You're going to love that you have him. All of that stuff, it's worth noting now as you're seeing him here in camp, you know, far exceeding where even really where my expectations were. I was expecting coming and having a pretty good camp, but he's a year off coming off that hamstring injury. Didn't play a whole lot last year. And he has been consistently good since he's walked in the door here coming into rookie mini camp onward. And not just in the manner of the what we're hearing about whispers and all this, and all, but the clips that you see coming out. I, to age myself just a little bit here, have been a Seahawks fan for, it's going to be getting into close, it's not quite there, we're a few years away maybe, but I'm getting close into the 40-year mark as a Seattle Seahawks fan. And in that time of being a fan, I don't think that I can ever remember a, a rookie wide receiver generating this much buzz in training camp. Maybe Joey Galloway, maybe. But this is as big a buzz as I've ever heard. A couple of years ago when DK Metcalf was doing his thing in camp and he was looking good and people were saying, hey, this, this kid's going to maybe be able to do something for this. this. He's got something. And there was a lot of that. It was still not at this level. It was still not on this almost daily occurrence like we're hearing with the clips or seeing with the clips or, or hearing from the local beat reporters. There's another catch from JSN. Man, just looks so smooth. And then there's nothing in... Uh, anything that uh, coach Carroll has said that's backtracked this either. He's smooth, natural. He's going to be here to help. We're going to be counting on him. There is no, you know, be careful with this rookie. We want to, well, no, I don't want to oversell us. And he's not going up over the moon as far as his praise of the kid yet. But I think that you see some of these clips coming out, you hear what there's being said. And I'm starting to open up the door in my own mind for thinking this kid's got a lot more potential than I think I thought when he was selected and that there is now maybe even more of an opening for him to be able to play on the outside um, and even potentially flourish. I um, want to show a couple of clips of here just to give some representations to you guys of this because I want back up what I'm saying. We've got uh, first clip here. Feet are just so nice here up the line of scrimmage. This obviously is really tough on a cornerback here because you've got to stay over the top. These drills are going to lean into the wide receivers, but just pitter-patter feet, quick change of direction into his route. Think about how that gets stopped on a third and three when he's got a two-way option. And this one's the, this one's the naughty one. This is, the, this is the naughty route there that we just saw a second ago. So right after this route, watch this, what he does with his footwork at the line of scrimmage here, the subtle hesitation right there. You get a cornerback putting his hand down in the ground. And like I said, Kobe Bryant's played pretty well throughout this uh, course of this 
this run here in practice. And that's a great play there by him too. And just sharp cuts the line of scrimmage, third and three, first down. And then here, just a subtle hesitation. It's almost like he's not doing anything a little bit, but he's got, obviously this is not the first rep that uh, Kobe's played him here in practice. And here he's got Trey Brown just completely confused about what he's doing. This whole route with Trey Brown, uh, no idea what he's doing through the thing. And Trey Brown's having a good camp. And it's not because this is bad play by the corners here as much as I think this is good play by Jackson Smith. Watch how he's got him just turned around here. Doesn't know where to turn his head. He's got him scrambling to get back into the play and then high points the ball. I think this kid's going to be a big problem here as we go forward. The bubble screen, the quickness to get up to speed. Could he help to make this a part of our game in recent years that just hasn't been as good, that's been, dare I say, a little bit problematic? I'm hopeful. We got a little fade route here. This guy's got the fade in his game. A little, little naughty footwork and you know, maybe a little push off. Okay. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. But this is a rookie here with this footwork. And seals the deal with the catch. Strong hands out away from his body. Brian wants the call. You don't get the call, kid. It's borderline. He does initiate the contact, but Brian pulls back in. Who knows if they call that in the game? It depends on who we're playing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But just the footwork. The footwork's nice because the footwork gives you hope. When you're seeing that footwork flash on this, these spots, it gives you hope he can get off the line of scrimmage and get away from the press, the press coverage if you have to put him to the outside. Because that's the big worry there is, you know, if he's not fast enough, does he got the physicality, then you got to have the footwork to get off the line. Zay Flowers is a guy that's going to have to do the same thing, uh, I believe, with the Baltimore Ravens, where it showed up on his tape where he was a guy that had to dance up at that line of scrimmage to get himself up off the line, to get himself clear into his route, just to get into the route at times. Because defenders will know I can press you to death um, because that's a little bit of a hole in your particular game. Not going to have to worry about a lot with JSN because he's going to be, uh, I think, playing more slot than not, which is going to remove some of those press problems. But still good that, to see that he's got the footwork to get it done. Then we got this clip here. Gino's rolling out to his right. Darts one in right in the back of the end zone. Two feet down. Brian's like, can you stop, please, highlighting me up, please? Have, have you not embarrassed me enough, man? That's what he's saying here. You know, just rolling out. Look at the toe tap. Oh, look at the toe tap. That's a touchdown. Yeah, you know you got it, Rook. You know you got it. So we got him toe tapping. We got him running fade routes. We got him turning cornerbacks around. We got him having cornerbacks putting their hand down in the dirt. Been rough. And then we got the coup de gras, of course, which is the one-hander over the top of Mike Jackson, which it does also appear to be a route he ran from the outside, by the way. Oh, just that too. And to be to show I'm not trying to shadow up all the all the corners totally. Here's one good one with Witherspoon on JSN. A little, little, little grabby at the top of the route here by, by Witherspoon, but, you know, it's incomplete. I don't think he gets called in the game. Good to see him sticky out there on the other side of it. And it's, uh, it may seem like an overstating YouTuber content creator to say. I don't think I've said anything close to this about rookies coming in uh, like we have heard here with Jackson Smith in, uh, in my time of doing this. Um, there's been guys I've been hyped up for, but I, you just don't hear this kind of praise and put up into this fashion of things unless there's kind of a legitimate 
uh, buzz behind a guy. You see this in the same way too with guys to to give a to give a guy I think who would be a representation of this Justin Jefferson with the Vikings. You know he comes out of LSU and you can find a lot of parallels between um, between JSN and Justin Jefferson in the respect of their their track record in the respect of you know what what they did in college, what the expectation level was of them as players. In the respect of they were looked at as kind of slot-only guys. That's all they were going to do at the next level. That's all they could do at the next level. But the second he arrived into Viking camp, it was much like it was with here with JSN, where you were just hearing nothing but an endless stream of stories or endless plays or endless little cuts you would see of him out there just bawling out. And the Vikings just being like, whoa, we got, we've got a special one here. This, this, this kid's kind of on another level. And the potential here now, like I say, with this diamond core, as I'm going to call them, that's my nickname for him at the moment. We're going to call him the diamond core because now you're not merely getting another three slot. I'm not just saying I'm on saying Brown here. What if you're getting a guy that can play, not Judge Jefferson like played this year, obviously, where Jefferson is going to be maybe the most productive receiver in the league, but give you a guy that can get you well over a thousand yards out of the slot because he is just dynamic. What does that do for this offense? What does that, what does that mean? Where does that take the upside of this offense, take the upside of this team? Because I've been operating from the assumption that he would have a typical rookie year where he slides in there and he gets you maybe 600, 700 yards, a couple touchdowns, has a couple of bright moments, but you know, he's a rookie struggling through. But considering how much attention Tyler and DK get on the, outs, uh, on the outside, especially when, they, when they're running the deep routes and how much that is going to open things underneath, I can't help but wonder what it might mean for an offense if you were able to bring three wide receivers to bear like that, knowing as well that you've got the running game that you do have, as long as uh, all of our running backs don't end up in the infirmary unit. Jesus, I feel like, I feel like we're going to have to call somebody off the streets here soon or something at this rate. But as long as that can maintain, you're going to be dynamic in all aspects. Just one of the reasons why I've played with the notion of this team being the best offense in Seahawks history, being a team, offensively speaking, that can build upon a 5,800-yard season and let's say get around potentially that 7,000-yard mark. And if they're around the 7,000-yard mark, they're now flirting with the record books at that point if they can push up to that mark. It may seem a little bit like a big draw, but as I've said a few different times in leading to saying this is a possibility, the reason it's ba- the basis of it's there for me is because this isn't just an offense that has to lean on one thing. Those offenses that have been dynamic in NFL history, the greatest show on turf, for instance, you had three wide receivers. You had Torrey Holt and you had uh, another guy that I'm spacing out his name on right now, um, Isaac Bruce. And then you had Oz Akeem as your slot on that team. So you had the three wide receivers, but then you had Marshall Falk as well. And if you think about it, we've got, we've kind of got that equivalency a little bit if you think about it. Uh, maybe maybe Geno Smith's no Kurt Warner, but then you've also got the three tight ends that St. Louis team didn't have. And, you know, they had Orlando Brown, but you got yourself a Charles Cross. So maybe it is me shooting with starry eyes to the sky about the potential of this offense. But I've said I think this team's taken by how far this offense can take it. And if this offense is more primed than even we had thought or anticipated, that just emboldens me to think that it's even more further the truth. So this JSN development is nothing but a phenomenal thing. But I swear to, I swear to God, hand in the Bible, you know, put me in court, Your Honor, I will, I will tell it true. Over almost four decades of football, I've seen many dynamic rookie receivers come through here. I remember Doug Baldwin being talked about along with Ricardo Lockett when they first came as undrafted rookie free agents. Brian Blades, oh my goodness, Brian, he's going to be a player. He's going to be a player. 
It's one year back in the day. Seahawks, I believe, drafted two rookie, uh, two wide receivers in the second round. I think back in the 80s, early 90s, didn't work out too well. They weren't too good. Some hype around those guys. As I said, Galloway had himself a little bit of a little bit of push. Corn Robinson. You had a top 10 pick named Corn Robinson, who was going to be the Jerry Rice of Mike Holmgren's offense in Seattle. Nowhere near the type of hype I'm hearing from JSN. Not even in the, the same league, not even the same sport. This is something different. And like I said with my evaluation, I had an evaluation on JSN, but uh, you can be moved by different information. Nobody is the end-all be-all in the knowledge and their understanding of who's who and what's what. And like anyone, you got to grow with the information that you start to hear around. You hear the vets talk about JSN prior to the draft, guys that you would trust as far as their opinion when it comes to wide receivers, guys like Steve Smith, for instance. And then you see what he's done in camp and not just merely done here at the start of training camp. This is also, this isn't just the training camp because maybe some naysayers going to just camp. This is, it's also going back to rookie minicamp. It's from the second he's walked up onto that field, he's been showing out. He's been of note. And uh, I think that that's notable for us because that just means this team has that much more potential for the upcoming 2023 season. So if you're not already hyped, get more hyped. It's not empty hyped. I try to show you some of those cutups. Those aren't him just doing one thing. Those aren't him just taking the top off a of defense. Those aren't just him running a slant route underneath. You're seeing him run a variety of different routes there, use a variety of different little small techniques. That subtle little move off the line, I think it's on Trey Brown, where he just kind of heel toes him. And Trey just falls on the ground on that. It's, it isn't even just that getting that move. It's that he set him up on that move in the reps that they've run. He's gotten, he's gotten him used to thinking he's coming, and then he comes with something else a little different. And Trey's trying to amp up for the first move because he got probably beat on it prior. He's going to get some catches. Get him on your fantasy team. This kid stays healthy. I think he's going to have some impact and uh, show out big time. We've got ourselves a quick little probably show today. I'm going to be doing, uh, I got to go do some uh, house sitting stuff for a friend. So I got to watch some dogs and do some stuff like that. So we're going to be on a little bit of a truncated show today. I know I also started a little bit late, but that's the way it's going to go today. I, good news is though, I will be back tomorrow. Me and uh, Brendan are going to re-begin. It's uh, season, what, season three of the B&B show. So uh, the B&B show is coming back with Brendan Nelson, Seahawks Brendan Nelson tomorrow. So uh, he, we're going to be on his channel technically, but I think we've got it set up to where we'll be able to dual stream now on both ends of the uh, fence here with the StreamYard platform. So we'll be back tomorrow pretty quick as well. Going to do a little bit of chatting here with you guys in the chat and see where you guys' head's at as far as camp, see what anybody's got to say um as well about just your outlooks or if somebody's been at camp maybe you guys can give me some tidbits on what you guys were seeing from the sideline and uh maybe a little bit of uh you know eyes on the eyes on the scene kind of thing going on um also i'm working really hard on getting a boy Mafe video out here really soon so um i will have that completed here probably within the day or so um and it was really good to see too today because i was I'm putting this Mafe video together and it's it's both of the good and a little bit of the bad from last year with Mafe because it's really very easy to kind of discern between the two on him as a player from last year where he was a guy that uh, was really good against the run but then really struggled as a pass rusher. Um, still got three sacks, not a surprise, struggles as a pass rusher. You know, the, the background of these guys is not that they usually do, um, you know, they usually don't take off in their first year, you, especially second round edge rushers. But it was notable, there was a cut-up shown up today by Bob Condota, I think he had of uh, Mafe, where the, the thing with Mafe on his pass rush is everything he wanted to do was the hand swipe move last year. So he, he goes hard to the edge, and then you get the swooping hand swipe coming through. And the problem with it is it's a, it's a well, not the problem, it's a great, great move, and he's got a lot of bounce so that he can swoop and bounce off. So it's like one, two, 
and he's bouncing off after the swoop, which then creates separation between him and the tackle, which then can give him a flat round, flat, flat round rate to the quarterback. But the problem is that the tackles start to pick up on that. And so what they will do is they will just build in to take the hands away. And so what do you got to do to counter that then? It's the, it's the back inside. You've got to have something come back. It could be a spin move inside. It can be the swim move, right? Uh, it can be a stab. It, it, there's a lot of different ways to get inside. Like Jalen Carter had the stab and swim. You know, there's a lot of little, little things you can do to get to that inside counter move. Mafe didn't have really an inside counter move. He'd sometimes run inside off the snap, but he didn't actually have an inside counter move. Well, if you watch this cut up of Bob Condota that just got released today as I was going on a, a live, you see him push hard to the outside. You can almost feel the tackle starting to load up for that hand swipe move that he was going to bring. And then he comes right in over the top with a very, really nasty, twitchy uh, overhand swim move there to get himself free to the inside. And the tackle had no chance on it. And if Mafe can develop that, if that, if that can become a part of his repertoire, you're going to see a guy getting a well over 10 sacks this year. Because last year, that was his problem in his pass rush, even with the three sacks he got. It was just every, every time he's coming with a hand swipe. If he, can't, if he can't get your hands knocked down, you're, he's got nothing else he can go to. He's neutralized at that point. Very hopeful for this guy. Uh, AI in the house. How you doing, man? It's good to see you. I uh, hope you're doing well, DJ Jimenez. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, Free Truth. Hope you're doing well. Kelly in the house. How you doing, Kelly? Why do I? I really hope you and Jamal can uh, be ready for week one. I really hope Jamal can be ready for week one. Will be his best day. DK recently said with Spoon and Jamal, the whole defense will be juiced up. I hope they make it back. I'm hopeful of Jamal too. Uh, Carol said that he was going to be, you know, potentially back here very quickly and that this would, um, or not very quickly, but he's, he sounds like he's sooner than later. Let's just put it that way. And I, and Carol was pretty reticent before the starting training camp on the status. So it's good to hear things are uh, humming along um, pretty good. So uh, I hope he does. I think they're going to be very careful with him on that, Kelly. It's good to see you. Anderson says, JSN may very well be the most purely impactful player we've drafted in a long time. Ball in hand or just on the field, he's going to be a nightmare. That's the feeling I'm getting from it too as well, Anderson. I don't, I don't push this stuff out often. You can try to accuse me of being more of a, a hyper on these kind of stuff, but you're never going to find me talking about a rookie wide receiver or really a rookie defender, I don't think, period, in the time of doing this channel in, in this manner. Um, or, or defender or a, an offensive player. Um, and that's because this is legitimately kind of getting to the point where you're like, oh my goodness, like how many more of these plays can we see? And it's, you know, we're through barely like a week and a half here in the camp and you're getting this on a daily basis. He's showing an upside here being impactful in a nature that's tremendous. Megan, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate it. it says, hey, being 12s in a low mood today, it's almost my dad's birthday and I'm in a severe amount of pain due to the wrist. So I'm here, but I may be quiet. Uh, well, thank you for the $5 donation, Megan. I hope you're doing uh, a little bit better and that wrist is healing. Keep it mending. Keep it mending. Uh, Kelly says, Jordan looked so good, but Bobby would stay the, the mic. Uh, Bobby has been calling the plays. Super impressed with all of DJ, of uh, Julian loves him, INTs. Julian Love looks very impressive, Kelly. And uh, he just, uh, as you hear in that interview, he's got it. He seems to, he, under, he understands, he gets it. You know, seems like a very bright guy too. Um, but you have to be if you're going to play a multitude of positions. I when it comes to Mike, uh, who plays the Mike Jordan Brooks or or Bobby, I'm not sure. Bobby's not going to move. He'll be your he'll be your Mike. Jordan will be your your weak side linebacker. Or it's they're both technically in this defense. Kelly technically they're both Mikes in a three four, but uh, you would have Bobby as your strong side Mike. Jordan Brooks is your weak side Mike by 
you know, the yard of positioning difference between the two of them and the alignment, you know, at that point. But um, you're not taking Bobby off the field in favor of Jordan because even though Jordan is faster than Bobby, I would guess even after the recovery from ACL, he's got really the problems in coverage. And that's the only reason you'd move Bobby out the field is if you're, you're trying to cover that up a little bit. So no, nah, you'll still keep Bobby out there. Uh, why do you, why do I say Spoon already setting the tone and jacking up his teammates third day in practice? Hard hitting from what I from, from what I've read, the dude is a stud. It's what we're hearing more and more now with the pads coming on, and he's bringing the heat. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, you start having some fun when you start thinking about Bobby, him, Jamal, all in the secondary out there cracking. I like it. Maxwell says never seen this much hype before for one rookie. I've never seen it either, man. Never in my life. Sam Dog DJ. Uh, uh, pop, pop. Steve Schmitz has just tuned in. Any Charbonnet or Kenneth Walker III updates? Walker is, I think, a week-to-week, day-to-day thing. The, the, that's about the biggest depth that we've got on that one, Steve. Um, it does not sound anywhere near any kind of, of the ominous tones that you hear from the Charbonnet situation, where Charbonnet's just quiet. I've heard rumors of him going and needing to get a second, a, a second uh, opinion which it's that you're not getting the second opinion unless you didn't like the first opinion. And usually the first opinion probably at that point is going to be surgery if you're, we're going to logically kind of take it down the line a little bit. I don't know if that's what he's got, but I'm very concerned that that's what the case is that they're facing right now where they're thinking about, well, let's let it maybe quiet down for a couple of days, but then if it's surgery, that might mean the whole season because if it's a labrum tear, I, I think that that's a whole year thing if you're going to get that cut out. I don't think that they can come back on that in just a, even an eight-week period. And that would be the only thing I can think is it's something to do in that line in the surgery at that point, if it's something that's that serious, or I could be overstating this too, Steve, and it just may end up being that they were just, we just weren't telling you guys and second rumors, the, the second opinion stuff's just rumor. It's not true. It's, it's just, he's just, we're just being real careful. I don't know, but uh, Carol did seem a little unsure on the press conference. So I'm, I am definitely trying to read between the lines on this one a little bit because like you, I'd like to little, know a little bit more information, but nothing's really coming out quite yet. Anderson says, I do think the most underrated move of our offseason was bringing in BT Jordan. Not a lot of people are talking about him. They only knew him. They, if they only knew his resume, they'd know how much he can improve our guys. I, uh, I agree. I'm watching Boye Mafia with that inside move like he's showing off Anderson. I'm like, is that BT Jordan? Because that's not a move that Boye Mafia was unleashing last year at all. You know, every, everything was outside, outside. And if he did come inside, there's a snap I'm going to show on my uh, video in another day or so where you know, he comes off the ball and he's just, when he does go inside, he's just running as fast as he can into the inside gap at that point to the inside shoulder of the tackle. He's not really going anywhere with like a necessarily a plan that he's trying to apply. So a BT could definitely supply some big impact this year, and I'm hoping he does too. How you doing, D-Boy? Good to see you in the house. Happy birthday in advance, man. Roger Keast, uh, who else is going to be at the mock game? It's on my birthdays. You know I had to go. Roger, happy birthday to you too. You and your boy both got the same birthday. I was going to try to get out there, but I just couldn't round it out this year. I ended up having some some stuff come up, so I had to kind of do what I got to do. Nothing you can do about it. You know what I mean? I'd like to, though. Sam Dog, can't wait to get to back into the stadium exit Thursday and do my player interaction streams. That'll be fun, Sam Dog. Good luck, man. Why is this team will stop uh, the run by being younger and faster and Bobby making the calls again? I think it'll definitely improve. And you're right. I think his, pres- his presence within that will help it improve. AI says JSN is going to be a problem. That's how I see it as well. I think he's going to, I think he's going to really, really give the league some issues out there at the slot. 
And you better have a good slot when you play the Seahawks because by the sound of it, Gino and him have got some good chemistry. So Gino will work it if it is there. <laughs> He's not going to be like, well, it's a rook and I got a deacon. Like, oh, you're going to leave this guy I know is going to get wide open. I'll just throw that all day long. It's like what we've seen these teams do. The Vikings have done it with Jefferson. Uh, the, the Rams have recently done it with Cooper Cup. Like when it's open and when, it's, when there's that hole in the defense to attack with that slot receiver, there's not seemingly at times a whole hell of a lot of adjustments in some of these defenses to stop it, especially if they're personnel light in order to even deal with it. Free truth, it's good to see you in the house, man. Hope you're doing well. George Harmon, what's up, man? How you doing? Go Hawks. Why do I says, remember as good as the secondaries looked? Reek has yet to play. It's a good point. He's yet to even get on the football field. Imagine what happens then. And the defense has been balling. Man, they have been coming on. Samuel, uh, we picked the best cornerback and best wide receiver for a reason. To start day one. Even our second round picks will see significant playing time. In the third, we picked an offensive guard. Fourth round, a defensive tackle. Fifth round, a defensive end. Sixth round, safety. Seventh round, running back. They attacked some positions, that's for sure. They got around, but I agree. I think they got these guys because of value, because they were the best guys on the board. And is it no surprise that the best guys that you get that are of value when you're picking in a draft turn out to be the guys maybe most ready-made most ready made to play day one? Very well could be the possibility here. Sons of Patriarchy, how you doing? It's good to see you in the house, Sean Lee. Yo, 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 yo. Sam Dog says, JSN's killing it. He'll be a stud. I think he will too, Sam. I don't say it lightly. And, and I tried to kind of, that's why I tried to load a little bit to him. And if you go watch my draft reaction video, I'm, I'm good with the pick. I like the pick. I love the value. I got nothing against it. I think the, the slot is only growing more valuable in this league. And it's only going to continue to grow into the future. It's not going backwards in that respect. But this is another level of it. This is another level of, of hype coming out of camp with this particular kid. And uh, it just leads me to go, okay, what if we go from 700 to 1,100, 1,200 yards this year's first rookie year? What if he lights it up like that? You know, and that's, you already look at the offense through a lens of saying this should be a top five offense. Can it, can it push even further than that? Do I, do I dare get greedy? BP says, baby, would it be better for JSN to play the outside and lock it to switch to the slot? I don't believe so. And my reasoning on this comes mainly down to two things. Number one, I think Tyler Lockett is at his most effective still as a player on the outside, even with a little bit of advanced age and probably having lost a step nine years into the league. But the yak aspect of things, I don't think when you have a slot in this offense, it's a lot about just getting that slot, the ball in space and letting him work. You can afford to have a guy that doesn't really work as much of the yak based aspect of things. Uh, this has been some of my hesitancy to believe that they would play JSN on the outside as much because you just go with the strongest unit out there where everybody fits to these roles perfectly. The, the X being DK, weak side receiver on the line of scrimmage. I can handle your press coverage. You're not pressing me. Your Z being your receiver off the line of scrimmage then affords Tyler Lockett some of that same thing that you give to a slot where he doesn't have to deal with the presses badly so he can still get into his routes relatively easily. And then you've got JSN who's the pure slot. I think still at the end of the day, they're going to end up running that more often than not. But if there is an injury to Tyler or DK, I don't think there's going to be a hesitancy to try to, at this point, put him out there on that outside. I almost, I definitely think they would do that faster than they would put Eskridge on the outside at this point. 
who I do think is only going to be a slot guy, and I don't, he doesn't move into anywhere else. But uh, he'll, he'll only be out there, I think, when those guys need a blow or if there's a little bit of an injury, which, knock on wood, they've been very healthy, but that's certainly something that can come up. Bud's Mac. I'm still hoping my favorite pick turns out to be Macintosh just because I'm really rooting for him. How can you not, Spuds? Guy's a seventh round pick and, uh, you know, he's basically knocked and not for any real reason that has anything to do with him not being a, a good player in college or helping his team to go out there and win national titles. It's this 40 time basically that knocks him. And, and the bad testing number is a little bit across the board, but he goes to senior bowl, which is some guys don't even go to senior bowl because they're worried about protecting themselves. And he goes out there and shows out at the senior bowl and still can't get the love. You know, yeah, you, you root for this guy. You go, man, this is a guy that you can tell in the call of draft call with, with Schneider and him in the seventh round that he wants it. You know, that he wants to go out here and play. And he looks like he's been nothing but working hard since the end of the season leading up to this training camp with, with how well, you know, he's looked in some of these cutups. But I'm really intrigued by him. We haven't kind of had a, uh, a running back with quite his skill set here in quite a long time. And may, if, maybe if ever, if I really think about this pretty deeply, um, I don't think we've had a guy quite like this before. And uh, I think he, at the very minimum, is going to find his way to get some carries on this team, some touches on this team throughout the year, Spud, but he could maybe even elevate beyond that. Sam says that hit Spoon had against Indiana sold me. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a dog, Sam. You know, he's going to put his, he's going to put his nose in there and he's going to put you down and he, yeah, he's 190 pounds, but tackling sometimes is more about willingness and not always about weight. And uh, if you got the technique down and you got the willingness and he certainly has it, he's got that, you know, they go, he's got that dog in him. Like you can feel that he's got that dog in him on the field. I don't think it's any um, coincidence that the second the pads come on, he starts kind of his, his star shirts shining a little bit brighter on that training camp field. Sam the Great says he really, uh, he really is a pure shutdown corner. That's supposedly the background on him. That's supposedly what he can do. See if he can pull it off. Uh, James Cooper says JSN will hit 1,000 yards as a rookie, barring injury. Both Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and said JSN is the best wide receiver on that Ohio State team. They did indeed. And uh, even beyond them, James, you had the uh, uh, heart, heart line, the uh, wide receiver coach for Ohio State who is churning out wide receiver pros out of that program at a pretty nice rate saying that he was better of the bunch of anybody that's come through there, including a Michael Thomas and Terry McLaurin, and that he was just only short of Marvin Harrison Jr. And that is uh, a lot of different guys saying very much and consistently the same thing. This is that thing I go to. You touch on James with that, which is, you know, there is your opinion. There is your eyes. There is your assessment. And there is value in that with everybody, I believe, depending on, of course, your level of acumen and how much film you watch, how much you look at. But there's a value to that. But there's always the, the quantifiable value of having you know voices that you trust, people that you would listen to that you know are smart when it comes to looking at football and understanding what they're seeing, especially when it comes to players and what the players are capable of and scouting guys that are in college. And that you take that into account as well. And that's not always going to align up to what your might, personal opinion might be. You know, they might be more, more effusive or less effusive or way down on a guy. And you do have to, I think, kind of try to counterbalance that a little bit in the understanding that the more voices you have out there that are kind of in that way, I'm not unanimous, but they're singing a song that is all very similar. 
and your song is not quite, you know, you're a little off, off key maybe potentially. And you're, you've got to kind of, I think, build that in a little bit. And I'm, that's the part that I'm building in with is when you hear these people around who've been around him, around him at the program, former pro receivers like Greg Jennings or Steve Smith talk about him as a player and, and what they see for him. It makes you go, okay, this kid's going to come in and he's going to do something. It's not necessarily saying superstar, but to come in and he's definitely not just some meager league average slot. That's not what they've picked up here. And uh, that's got me very, very encouraged as much as anything else in this camp. You hear it every single day. Every single day you hear it. Um, Kevin Mullen, thank you for the $10 donation. I appreciate it, Kevin. He says, with the uh, third safety on the field, the traditional Ray Lewis type linebackers are becoming extinct. With quarters and halves package, a flat-footed third safety will be preferred versus offenses like McFay and Shanahan. I agree. I could easily see this becoming something where that old-school linebacker, like you talk about, the Lewis-type guy, does start to go away in the league. And I, I think that the looking at the weights of these line, middle linebackers, and every year I've got to scout these guys coming out, and these middle linebackers, even the last four years, all the way down the line, I think some of it is that the guys are trying to get as fast as they can to run the proper 40 because you run, you know, you're at 225 versus 237, you're going to run a faster 40. You're going to have a better 10-yard split. But some of it is also you look at him on tape on film, go look at a guy like Owen Popoe out there at Auburn last year, and he looks like he's 225 on tape. That looks like what he rolls around. You know, can he gain more weight in the pros and add a little bit? Yeah, sure he can. But I think it's more to your point on that, Kevin, of what you're trying to do is get to more of these guys that, you know, when we when we come to look at them maybe eight years down the line from now, Kevin, and we're looking at the next middle linebacker crews coming through, we're looking at those guys that are now more like that safety size more than they're that middle linebacker size because so few offenses are as committed now to trying to attack everything up in the middle, which starts to remove less offenses are going to base package. You know, everything's the three and four wide receiver set. So you, everything's the defense kind of countering here, but I could absolutely see that being how this de- the defenses now choose to counter that and go in the other direction of it, man. Absolutely. Well said. And thank you for the $10 donation. I appreciate it. Uh, Kevin also with another $5 donation. Kevin, you're awesome, man. Appreciate you. He says, what's the expectation for Waldron? Uh, what's expectation for Waldron, this potent offense this year, in your opinion, top five offense. Can we get a walk-in describing JSN's first touchdown? Much love. Oh, I got you on this for sure, man. Thank you again for the donation. I appreciate it. Uh, let's do the, uh, question first. Um, my expectation for wall, the Waldron cauldron, and yes, I'm going to have that shirt made someday here soon. Now that I got my store open. Um, the Waldron Cauldron is got to be dynamic, explosive, and productive. What's gone on with the Seahawks team and what Coach Carroll has chosen to do is go against his better, maybe it's Schneider running this at this point a little bit. Maybe it's less of Carroll having a say on the personnel matters. But this team has conscientiously decided in recent years to shift towards the offensive side of the ball. They have not, you know, merely said, okay, we got to start to you know, put more into this side. They have really kind of opened up the piggy bank and done what they needed to do. And not just for monetarily wise, but draft capital wise to buff up this offense. And think about it. You, you went out there and took Dwayne Eskridge not a couple of years ago in the second round to be your third receiver as you were already happy with your first two receivers. Nothing has changed about that situation with your outside guys, yet you come back in this draft and take a first round wide receiver while Eskridge is technically still on the roster. And I know Eskridge has definitely not given them a lot of confidence not to have to go make that kind of pick to fill it in, but it does show an intent 
to want to build up that position, to want to make sure that that position is a strength and an ought, that, that you're leaning a little more heavily to the offensive side of the ball than you did back 10 years ago when you're building up the historic defense at the time as you did. Running back-wise, you've gone back-to-back years, second-round picks to the running back position. Um, you know, seventh-round Eskrid, uh, seventh-round Macintosh is, you know, okay, but that was also, you got a fourth-rounder there in DJ Dallas, so there's value there in what you place. The three tight ends, you got two of them that you're paying actual money on. Um, you know, you've, you put it in there, your tackle position, a first and a third rounder, you know, that everything's got a little bit of some prime asset capital put into it. And so you are thinking that in doing that to your question here, Kevin, that you're going to return and get that back in the form of productivity in the form of an offense that bare minimum is, is my expectation is it should be a top 10 really where it's standing right now. If there's not any real major injuries or, or they're decimated by injuries, it should be a top five offense on paper. Because I can't, I can't see any team in the league that's built themselves up this thoroughly. It's got some young parts, it does, that's sure, but it's also got some veteran parts at the right places, and uh, so it should be to me a top five offense. If it just slides into being just top ten, I, that's kind of like acceptable, right? That's your C grade. But I, to me, it's if if Waldron's going to get himself into an A grade territory, you got to get into even probably top three with this talent you've gotten because they they've given you a lot to work with, and some offensive coordinators in this league have a smattering of what Waldron has to work with this year. So the expectation level has to kind of rise with that. Luckily, I do believe, Kevin, that Waldron's going to rise to the occasion on this one and provide us just that top five offense because he knows, I think, how to get the most out of it. As he showed last year, he was light with the slot. His slot was injured or he had to move a guy that was an outside receiver to the slot to make it functional for part of the way. And then it was just completely functional for a lot of the other part of the year. Yet he still found an off- a way to make the offense work, mainly kind of shifting things then around the two and three tight end sets. So that shows a little bit of flexibility on his part. And I think you're going to, I think you're going to see him apply that again this year. Now that he's got finally, finally, he's going to have himself a slot. Now in regards to uh, Christopher Walken describing Jackson Smith and Jigba's first touchdown of the year, I can do so very easily just like this. What we have folks now is the first drive of the year. Gino, peppering the ball everywhere up the field. He's hitting everyone good. It's amazing. Golden arm, like a halo over his head when he throws. I don't know why. It's just what I see. Maybe aura. Not. Who knows? Then he gets down. Goal line. Fourth and goal. Carol, what are you doing? I don't know. He looks crazy. It seems like maybe balls growing big. Oh, my God. Big balls, Pete, back in the house. Wow. We've got Carroll fourth down, running fast. What are you going to do? I don't know. Gino has no one open. He's dead to rights. He's going to die. Last second, flicks the ball, throws it to no one. But who's there? Oh, my God. Look, it's J-S-N. There to catch the ball. My God. What? happen touchdown <laughs> Watkins a little weak tonight Kevin I'm sorry buddy but uh Watkins hype man he liked that JSN but that's how it'd be fourth down Carroll going for it first drive of the year he's trying right now it's obvious establish a tone for the year Carroll is now doing that I see you coach Carroll um he loves it though, man. He loves that touchdown on that part. He's, he's happy with it in the fourth down call, ballsy as ever, and that's going to set the tone for the upcoming season. I'll tell you what. Thank you though for the double dono, man. Appreciate you.
Kevin Lonice with a $10 donation. Thank you, Kevin. says, I'm not trying to be a homer, but how in the hell are teams going to stop us constantly? Go Hawks. Well, you, you capture right on to exactly what I'm talking about here, which is that I'm trying not to be a homer. I'm not trying to be biased. I'm not trying to try to shift this thing too hard or heavy in some of these YouTube clip thumbnails. I know you guys are all seeing Seahawks are going to be unstoppable this year. Seahawks are going to be deadly. Now, you guys are seeing these these clips coming up on your YouTube feeds like I am. It's like, Jesus, I guess we got the everyone's in, you know, no doubt about everyone being in on the on the team and uh, and how good they're going to be. But uh, when it comes to the offense, I think that there's definitely a big time leg to stand on here. I, you have a hungry Gino who's in the right mindset. You have a DK Metcalf, 25 years old, just sliding into his prime. A, a Tyler Lockett that doesn't look like he's slowed down at all in this training camp, who's stacked up five straight thousand yard seasons. You've got a Kenneth Walker coming off a, a second second in the voting as an offensive rookie of the year. The stellar tackle play that you got from both tackles their rookie year, knowing guys take their biggest step forward in their second season. Damian Lewis settling on in like a like a warm, cozy blanket there into the left guard, just settling in so nicely. You got some hope at the right guard, hope at the center position with guys you've drafted and signed. I think there's a lot of reason to, to believe this and that it can be backed up when you logically start kind of breaking it down a little bit and going, okay, it doesn't really have any weaknesses. Oh my gosh, you have so many strengths across the board. You can go three tight ends and you're going to have an advantage. You go two tight ends, you're going to have an advantage. You go three wide receivers, you're, from a personnel standpoint, going to have an advantage. You go four wide receivers with Eskridge, potentially, based on the fact he's been one of the star receivers of the camp. You might have an advantage. When you have that many advantages and that many personnel packages all across the field, from start to finish of a football game, how can you not think, how the hell are they going to stop us? And I find myself in the same place, Kevin. Uh, same, same spot as far as my mentality outlook on the team right now as it currently stands. James Cooper says Carter's a bust, can't stay on the field for more than three plays in a series. That is the that is the part for him to prove at this point, James. You're right about that. He's got to prove that the conditioning is good enough to roll. Good news is with the Eagles, from if I'm an Eagles fan, I, I would say to you, I'd go, well, we just, we're not going to need him to run more than that because we've got a great defensive line rotation. So we're going to just roll with that. But that will be the question with him is conditioning. Free True says the first preseason that Tyler Lockett played in and ran back a punt, I said to my girlfriend, he is going to be a great one. You could definitely see it back there in that preseason. I think if I'm not mistaken, Free Truth, wasn't that the one where Tyler had like three returns for a touchdown in the preseason or two returns and then another big one almost taken all the way back? You could definitely see there was something special in what he was doing. Um, and much like I think as you're making that comparison, like with JSN, you could see this guy's going to come in here because we were in dire need of needing some new blood to inject some help into the, you know, into the old cog a little bit. And that's what he was going to supply. And he did supply that. Um, but yeah, there was definitely something about Tyler there with the return game in particular out the gate. We're like, woof. Okay. At the very least, we got a, a functional receiver who might be the best return man in the game. Brandon, the cut says thinking about our offense and how explosive it can be makes my mouth water. <laughs> As it should. Mr. Isaac says, hey, what's up, Brandon? Hello, everyone. Your boy is officially a dad. Oh, Mr. Isaac, congratulations on being a father. What a uh, what an awesome honor there, man. And uh, hope everything's healthy and 10 toes, 10 fingers, all well. But uh, congratulations, man. Ox nest gets just a little bit bigger today. AI says, Steve Smith, just, Steve Smith says, JSN had a doctorate in route running. That's right. 
<laughs> that is what he said. And then tell you, Steve Smith's not a guy that gives out praise, you know, freely. If you want to look at, because you might be in that mindset of saying, well, Steve Smith's just doing these YouTube videos where he's talking about all the receiver prospects and he's just hyping all of them up. He's just loving on all of them because it's going to be good for views, good for clicks. Well, go listen to JSN, go listen to Steve Smith talk about Quentin Johnson or the guy selected just after Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he, he's a little bit more in that wavering point where he's like, there's this stuff he does good, but there's this stuff he does bad. And he's pretty, he's pretty on it if he's not feeling it. He's missed a lot of things. You know, he's, he's pretty authentic. It feels like when he's, whatever he's saying, I'm, I believe what he says. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Kelly says, Quandre was also nice and signed for me last year. Jordan Brooks was sweet and super soft-spoken. Bobby is the calm leader as described by Coach Hurd. Love calmness. Spoon, Jamal, bring the juice. Ooh, I like that they're bringing that. They're going to work well off each other too. I think their, their energy is definitely going to sync up and vibe. No doubt about that, Kelly. And Roger, yep, looked like Sherman dropped in, paid a little bit of a visit to the camp. It's good. I like it. Sun says, how's Pumpkin, homie? She's good. She's in sleeping under the bed. She's been a little bit elusive today. A little elusive. Uh, James says, uh, yeah, I can never understand the hype around a defensive tackle who can't get TFLs, uh, can't get pressure, and can only play for two, three plays of drive and isn't even on every down defender. Uh, well, I can't give um, perspective of other people and what they think with the James. I certainly was really, really high on him as a player. Um, in fact, I think I had him as my highest rated player in this draft, absent the quarterback position. And when it comes to getting TFLs and getting pressure, uh, a lot of the scheme you play in in these college systems matters quite a bit to how much production that you are able to generate on the other side. If you're running a defense purely in the old ways where you can get upfield and go attack, that's one thing. When you're being asked to, you know, take up blockers, take up space to hold your ground to two gap, you know, when you're having a defense like Georgia did where they were going to be a very heavy blitzing team, which meant that you had to play to your responsibility when you've got a blitz and you're a defensive lineman, oftentimes you're there to go occupy a defender because what you're trying to do with the blitz is get a free rusher. And when you watch a lot of the Georgia tape, that's exactly what they're trying to do is they're trying to get a free rusher in there through on the football field. And so that's part of it as well. Then let's also remember that he had the high ankle sprain in the very, I think the very first series of the very first game last year against Oregon. And then, and this is all a matter of record, four weeks later, he gets injured once again. And then let's also factor in how much double teams he's getting on that defensive line of Georgia. And you start to understand why maybe there's a little bit of a limitation on the production of what you saw from Jalen Carter. But this is the issue if we lean back to just looking at, well, what does a guy have as far as his production numbers go and what does the eye test say? Um, as far as the rotation down goes on that, yeah, he was rotated heavily out. I, I think when we come back to at least in particular last year and and you know, when he talked about trying to work on that and why you didn't see that brought into more play last year, I have to kind of wonder if not maybe the two major injuries he suffered early on in the season might have prevented him from training as hard as he would like to train to be ready on game day to play as many snaps. There's sometimes a little bit of a deeper story at play, in my opinion. And that's the issue we have if we just lean to just going to the bottom line stats and looking to those and letting those tell us the whole story. They tell us a story. 
They tell us part of the story, but they don't tell us the whole story. And you got to go back to the tape at the end of the day and go look at that. And if I go back and look at the tape, there's not been as dominant an offensive tackle on film in college in, in the way he operates and, and the way he'd throw around guys and his physicality and his quickness combined with his physicality and his explosive strength, like I've seen in Jalen Carter, you know, for going back for a couple of years. I'm not saying it's generational, but it's been a couple of years since I've seen a guy that's that good in those respects of things. But James, that's just my particular outlook and feel on it. Brandon says, can't wait for the BME show. We'll be back soon. Seven, I think seven o'clock tomorrow night will be on, I believe. And Sam Dog, uh, shout out to you too, Sam Dog. If you're not uh, subbed up, get up subbed up to Sam Dog, the infamous. One of our uh, folks in the, in the chat. He's got a great little channel over on his side of things. James uh, Cooper says, either way, on a positive note, Spoon looks great, and I'm happy we got him. I'm definitely happy we got him too, man. We are, we are definitely in agreement on that. He looks like a good player. Joseph One says, if JSN is good, then our new defense must be having a hard time. Uh, not necessarily, no. Sometimes it's a guy, you've gotten a guy that's the difference maker out there. Sometimes you get a guy, especially taking him in the first round like they did, um, especially a guy that a lot of people had labeled as the best wide receiver in last year's draft. It's not completely then on the necessarily just a porous defense. That's, uh, you know, the reason the other thing we're hearing is that the defense is also giving it to the offense as good as they're getting. You're just happening to seeing if it was the defense being bad chosen one, then wouldn't it be other guys beyond JSN that was smoking and cooking everybody out there rather than what we're hearing, which is that the defense is, you know, giving as good as they're getting, you know, that they're getting their share of picks, they're making their share of plays, and there's some plays being made by the offense as well as you normally would expect in a typical training camp, you know, period. Ridiculous Hawk says, Brandon, once Mafe learns the swim move, once Moffy learns the swim, will he learn the mashed potato or the twist? Bad joke. <laughs> we, one can hope. Sam says, uh, Brandon Jamal owes me two cigars. I bet they'll be good cigars too. Just, just make sure you don't drive afterwards with those cigars. I've seen the Jamal cigars. Oh, we got a Niner in the chat. RMS, the realist. Doesn't matter. The personnel he's speaking of have no chance against competing against the 49er athletes. All right, well, we'll see, buddy. We'll see this year. Yeah, you got to us for the first time in, what was it, like 10 years last year. You finally got to us for the first time with your Super Bowl roster in the middle of your Super Bowl window with us moving on from two Hall of Famers with $57 million of dead money. And you got us. Under those circumstances, an arm tied behind our back, missing a foot. Yeah, you got us. But it ain't 22 anymore, sucker. It's 2023. And the 2023 version ain't a bunch of just young pups coming at you. Now you got some seasoned dogs. Now you got an invigoration of talent. You got an improved team. Dare I say, a Jamal Adams who we didn't even have one snap for against you at all last year so tuck yourself in warmly at night get yourself a nice little kiss from your mama but no seattle seahawks are coming and we're coming for your throat and this offense 
that was up on you in your home during a playoff game at halftime with a defense that didn't even have a nose tackle is now going to be facing a whole different kind of beast this upcoming season. And no amount of crap talking, no amount of puffing up your chest is going to stop what's coming. So hopefully you guys, with your window ever closing, I can almost hear it. Can you hear that, Seahawks fans? Yeah, that's the sound of the 49ers championship window sliding shut. But best of luck to you. Best of luck. I think Docs is Brooks going to be healthy for the start of the regular season. I thought he was still healing. Uh, we actually got some insider reports on this one. I think Kelly was the one who dropped some knowledge on me the other day with this one where we're, of course, not seeing anything really from the feed. But uh, according to what Kelly was seeing, Jordan Brooks was looking even faster than uh, Jamal Adams was on the field uh, when she was watching and looking every bit very, very close to being ready. Carol said that all of these guys are in basically the same cluster at this point, being Jamal, uh, Fant was included in this group, Jordan Brooks that they all are technically recovered and healthy enough. They are all just working them into practice shape, being in good enough shape to go out there and practice. And so I'm, I'm going to guess that that's what the situation is as it currently stands here with the, uh, you know, with Jamal and that maybe he's a little bit further than, than Jordan, but still closer than further away overall in general. I don't have anything, anything kind of certain on this quite yet though. That's for sure. Uh, Trinell Griffin says, Yo, B, if you're Clint, what's your starting five defensive lineman? If we're going starting five and we're in a, uh, I get a base packet. Some of this is going to be tr Trinell. I'm going to, I would be, if I was a defensive coordinator, shifting this between two different um, points of what I'm seeing, I'd let the offense determine a little bit of this. Because if I see an offense going to three wide receivers, I'm not really a big fan of you got a first and 10 and you go three, they go three wide receivers. And then you from a defense say, well, we're going to stay in base because we think that the team's more likely than not to run on first down. So if I, because I have my two packages on the, especially the three down linemen, Trinell means even the outside linebackers would change. If it's a rundown, if it's a base, I would have Jerron as my, as my nose. I would have um, Draymond Jones as my weak side defensive end. And then my strong side defensive end would probably be at this point, geez, I'm spacing out here. Um, oh, my strong side defensive end would be the, the guy whose name I can never remember that we got out of Tennessee, who I'm spacing right now. Um, so those are the three guys I would have in on the early downs. But then if we go to flip down to a pass downs, um, now I might look to kick. I might, I'll probably bring Mike Morris into one side. Um, you might still keep Draymond out, but you'd flip between him and Boye Mafe. So I would do a little bit of different things depending on if I thought it was a run or a pass, depending on the fronts I want to go up. And then as far as outside linebackers, you can play a Chenna 24-7, of course. But then when it comes to Boye, and, and Boye is the same way, I think. He's going to round into a kind of a 24-7. If it's an early down, run down defender, he can play it all the way around. Taylor's more of a, he's only open from 10 o'clock onwards. You know, that's not 24-7. So with Taylor, now you got to fashion him into more of the rotational edge role. So even, even on the edges, you got to do it a little bit differently than just having just your starters running. And then when they get tired, you have your guys come as backups, Trinnell. 
Um, but I like that as the, the base three, at least on that front three, was you get a Chenna out there in your base, you get Boyu out there in your base as your base edges, and then the front three in there, you got Jaron, um, Draymond Jones, and then Mario something or rather, Mario Edwards Jr. There we go. Took me three minutes, three minutes to figure it out, Trinell, but Mario Edwards Jr. Because then you got plus run defenders all across the board there, and even though Draymond's not plus, he's he's technically backside defender there, so he's... He's not at the play side. Um, those would be my five, though. But I definitely would do a lot of interchanging and reading the offense a little bit of what they're sending out with their personnel grouping because we can. that's how we can kind of counter it. We've got the personnel to counter you. You want to go to three wide, and you know now we have needed to do more of a you know extra corner on the field and move out the three safety packages. So a lot of, there's a lot of creativity opened up here. Trinell, they're kind of going to so many different variety of places if they want to do it. They haven't done that in the past, but this definitely op- the door's more open to do that than ever before. Uh, Kelly says, I really think Spoon will help us with the run fits. I do too. I think he's going to operate like kind of like almost a little bit of a linebacker as a slot corner if they move him into that spot at times. Part of why I like him so much in there is not only do I think it fits more to his skill set, Kelly, as far as being a man-based guy, but also that now you also get him closer to the line of scrimmage, closer to having impact on the run game. And that, uh, that also, I think, could be helpful. Kelly says, him blitzing like Jamal excited the hell out of me. He was blitzing, huh? Yeah, that, that'd be fun, too. I want to see him hit a quarterback going full speed like he did that guy uh, back in college last year. D-Boy, Brandon, what is a good going away retirement season for Bobby number-wise? And what kind of number do you think personally that he will put up? I hope, uh, I hope you get what I'm trying to ask you. Uh, I think if you get him cracked over uh, 100 tackles, I think get him five, six sacks, get him kind of very similar season to last year and what he did, frankly, you know, we're still over 100 tackles. It was only, I think, at 80 technically last year or something, but you get him over 100 tackles, you get him in a couple sacks, you know, maybe a, a, an opportunistic interception or two, tip ball, a quarterback throwing the wrong place, him reading it right. Um, I think that probably looks about right for Bobby at this point in his career. I don't know, though, too, D-Boy, if it's necessarily just going to be this is definitely his final season and that this is all it where, you know, if he goes out and he matches what he did last year in his efficiency, um, not looking at like some people will try to do D-Boy where they look at what he can't do, but just looking at the efficiency of what he does do. And if the cost can remain around the same price in the way it was this past year for the Seahawks as they just run it as a year to year basis kind of thing. Not the worst way to go to run it back again with him, because after all, D-Boy, we're looking at this next upcoming offseason and we are sitting with the sort of the treacherous ground of having to go out there and find two starting middle linebackers as everyone is due to be a free agent. So it's in our best interest, hopefully, that Bobby can churn one more out even beyond this season. Sam the Great says, I'm expecting DK to get more numbers this season. We have three legit threats at wide receiver. Boy, do we ever. Do we ever. Very legitimate.
Uh, boy Brandon, uh, thank you for the early birthday. I want to, and I want a birthday gift video from you. <laughs> All right, man, I'll send you one for sure, man. I can send you a little. I'll send you a little tidbit. It was it Friday that you're having it. Um, Joshua uh, Ipok, thank you for becoming a member of the channel. I appreciate you jumping aboard the Hawk's Nest and welcome aboard the Hawk's Nest. Uh, the Snail, welcome back aboard the Hawk's Nest. I know you've been a longtime member as well, so thank you for hopping back in on the on the Hawk's Nest. We've been doing uh, Thursday shows for the Hawk's Nest members, so we will continue to be doing that on in the future. So appreciate you guys for uh, jumping aboard over there on that side of it. Ran in the cut. Thank you for the $20 donation. Ran, you are awesome. He says, the winer's window is sliding now, but after we sweep them, it'll slam shut and we'll be locking it. Go Hawks. Hey, there we go. Rand's bringing the energy I want in this building right now. That's your damn Skippy, as they would have said back in the late 80s on that one. Your damn Skippy. They got their hope right now. They think they're still in the midst of their open window, right? They're feeling the breeze blowing on through. But it's that ever slowing, ever just ever increasing shut. And I, and you, they, they don't want to acknowledge it, but Jesse was over on last second. He said, yeah, we are five years into this. Yeah, you don't tend to have a five-year run. And when the door shuts, shuts, when the door shuts, it shuts hard, it shuts fast, and it shuts firmly. Believe me, we know. We were there. We're just trying to warn you, Niner fans, about what's about to happen. That's all. I'm just trying to warn you for the sake of your, your own sanity, really. Greg Kemp says, Brandon, have you noticed that the reports are saying DK is catching and scoring on post routes in camp? Like I suggested, he should run more in two or three uh, live streams ago. I hope they let DK attack safeties more. I do too. I do too. Uh, yeah, I do remember you mentioning that. And uh, I hadn't seen, I think I saw a post note in there. Um, it's kind of a scramble right now with some of the notes that are coming through on it. But certainly, um, that's a great way to go at it, you know, and, and kind of, if anything, I love it, Greg, where you're taking the issue a little bit to the defense. You want to roll coverages? Well, we'll force you into that roll fast rather than giving that safety a little bit of maybe an out where he can get back to the other side of the field. You know, if you're really going to pull this, pull over here. And if you we catch you in a point where that safety is having to, to kind of you know, angle over to the other side of the field away from DK's side when he can run that post route, it will be open there. And certainly uh, Gino's got the arm strength accuracy to get that kind of ball fit in in that spot. Um, that's a big boy throw you got to make, but Gino's got the ability to do it. So uh, I hope they use him in that way too, Greg. I think that they've been in a process over the last couple of years of kind of figuring out the way to utilize DK and how to get him featured and how to get him those, you know, not forced touches but the touches that can come in the context of the offense but are really setting up to his strengths um so hopefully they're just learning even more and better now and uh, uh all the more reason i think he can have potentially his best season this upcoming season this upcoming year uh, the offense is going to throw he's going to i think get less double team coverages than he's ever gotten in the last couple of years and that will open the door in a major way i think to him being able to maybe touch back into that 1300 1400 yard mark Riverside Justin's going to take Lockett's spot when he decides to retire. Well, I've gotten a lot more confidence of him playing in the outside um, based on what we're seeing out of him at camp. And I was not confident of him when we drafted that he'd be able to do that. I will acknowledge that. But you got to change with the new information that comes down the track. And uh, the information coming down the track is a freight train called Jackson Smith. Spuds Max says, I heard Russ abandoned Let's Ride. Anyone know what, what it is now? Maybe he went to back to go Hawks. It'd be funny if he just said that. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
Abel Grimmer, I got a throwback Seahawks t-shirt. It looks good. Go Hawks. I got to get myself some Hawks swag from the store. I've been meaning to get back on there and I've just always spaced it out. I want to get, I got to get one of those shirts though too. They got to be nice. Hawks, uh, oh, I see a lot of ESPN analysts ranking the Seahawks below the Saints, Giants, Lions. What are we missing? Eh, same analysts that had us down at three, four wins last year. I mean, if you want to find whether or not you have confidence in these folks, like, go look at that. It's one thing if you're an analyst and you're off by two or three wins on a team. I mean, that's one thing. That happens to everybody, I think. I mean, no one's going to be on the button accurate. Few are. But when you're off like five, six, seven games, what does that mean? And a lot of those... A lot of those analysts had those team had us in that position last year, and now they're still not sold on us. So you know they're fixed in their mind. I think a little bit with this situation of things. I do believe that the that the uh, Lions are going to be improved team. I I'm not huge on the Giants really, and I'm not huge on the Saints. I think that they'll be very middle of the road type teams. But I don't know, man. I I just don't think that we get a very clear look out here in Seahawk land from the the East Coast side of things. You know, or they just can't. They just can't sign themselves up to Geno. It's just a bridge too far for him. Greg Kemp says, Lockett's best routes are outside routes. You want a Z receiver to run, and JSN is more shifty, which is a better skill set for the slot. I agree. I think that all things being equal and everybody's on the field and everybody's healthy, you want the guys in their spots that's setting them up for the best success. And JSN might have two different places where he's in the best success, where he can be almost equally effective outside his inside. Maybe we'll learn that. But we do know about Lockett right now, to your point, Greg, He's best in that Z role where it really fits him well. And um, he can run those routes that are hard to find with these routes. It's hard to find the outside guys like this that can do what he can do and be this productive this many years. You know, you don't want to break it if it's not broke. And uh, certainly right now with what's going on with DK and Tyler, it's, it's not broke out there. Everything's working just fine on that side of things. It's the slot that we need to buff up a bit. Abel says, looking forward to Canton Hall of Fame game tomorrow, then Hawks game next week. Hell yeah. One week away. Sons the big Charky says, Let's the, let the pundits sleep. Suits me just fine. Me too, man. Me too. JG, I was praying we got JSN at 20. Some Seahawks fans didn't like it, but I love it. I see top five potential. You're looking like a mighty smart man right now, JG. Can't lie on that. I, wasn't, I never was at a point where I didn't like the pick or wasn't completely understanding or saying the pick's solid pick, good value. E- easily, you could instantly see that. But I didn't know he was going to light it up like this. I didn't anticipate that. Spuds Max says, pumpkin, pumpkin. Let's see if that roused her. Nick Guzman, how you doing, man? It's good to see you in the house. I hope you're doing well. Space, has Marshawn Lynch ever raised the 12 flag? Yeah, I think Marshawn's raised it. Spuds Max says, Waldron's gone. If the offense lives up to the hype, he very easily could be offered a job opportunity after this year. If this is a top even 10 offense, he's definitely going to be a hot commodity league-wide. Your point, yeah. Kelly says, good to see Ken Walker on the field and smiling, congratulating other teammates at camp. Just not practicing, but he's out there and around everybody. That is good to hear. It's good to hear. Sounds encouraging with what's going on with him too right now. So we'll keep our fingers crossed there. D-Boy says, so my B-Day is on Friday's 12. Oh, sorry. Uh, B-Day is on Friday 12. Uh, so if anybody's going to see Ox practice, so if anyone wants to buy me a beer on my birthday, that would be dope. I have Cash App and Venmo. 
<laughs> there you go. Uh, Sean, this is a deeper defensive back room than our Legion of Boom era defensive back room. Time will tell if it's good. Well said, man. I agree. Why do I says Olu will be the third day one starting rookie this draft and the seventh in the last two years? Brown is neck and neck with Olu. If you are a five-year vet neck and neck with a rookie, you have lost the battle. Stop. Yeah, I definitely think that's uh, probably the way that that one's going to be going when it's all said and done on that one. Why do I? So yeah, you're, you're probably pretty close to the mark with that one. Olu's probably got this one firmly in hand if he's already, as you say, neck and neck with a five-year vet this early into camp. Uh, Herbicide says, K9 is just a slight groin from what I hear. No big deal. Just enough to sideline him. They don't want to push it, nor should they. And that's exactly what I hear on that situation too, Herbicide. It's the Charbonnet one that's a little, a little up in the air. Spuds Max says, need more cowbell. More cowbell, please. Now, more JSN. I need more. Throw it to him again. Gino, throw to him. I don't need DK any more touches. Save him. Preserve dk you don't use dk you preserve he's like wine in a cellar you keep him for parties or special occasions jsn he's that beer out of the fridge all the time you just go there it's always there brandon m what's good to you man it's good to see you in the house how you doing man are you guys that brandon loved the cat walking ever wonder uh, if there has a cowboy hanging in the end zone <laughs> there should be now and make it better. Everyone would have fun. Players could ring it. Ring, ding-a-ling, the cowbell. When you score, Ty Guy, don't think, I've ever, don't think I've ever seen another Hawks prospect get as much hype in training camp like JSN has. Ty Guy, I'm glad I'm not the only one. That's why I wanted to make this kind of the theme of this particular show in the respect of, I think it's, you do these shows, we cover this stuff in training camp, and we do so because we're just trying to monitor what's happening and what stories come out. And you're trying to just kind of pick organically what you're hearing. You're not guiding it. This is just what you're organically hearing. And it's it's just, you're hearing it like a like a beat in a music, you know? Do, 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 do. It's like JSN, 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 JSN. Tyler got to catch JSN, JSN. Gina Smith with the pro. JSN, JSN, JSN. Kobe Bryant made a play, you know? And and he is the he has been the metronome beat that just keeps going throughout this whole training camp a bit. And I'm like you, I've never really remembered. I, I kind of narrowed it down to a receiver. It may be as much as any prospect that we've ever had come through here, the hype that we're hearing to your point on that, Ty. I hadn't considered it even to that high of a range of things, but it might be even in that in that area. Um, it, it is, it's tremendous what we're hearing about this kid. So um, yeah, you're not the only one, man. I'm in the, I'm seeing, I'm just like, I've heard of guys getting, you know, getting their share of praise and guys say, man, this guy's going to be a good one. Keep an eye on him, but not like this. Not every which way, but loose. Megan, you should always be a little nervous with injuries. They make everyone nervous. Because they could strike at any time. Roger says, who saw that Cooper Cup might be out the first game? Really? Are you just making like a diving end zone catch in their practice the other day I saw? He hurt himself again. Big Docs, Brandon, what's your nickname for JSN the last show? Ninja Route? Uh, a ninja Route Runner? What was I? Yeah, the Ninja Route Runner. What did I? No, Route Ninja. Route Ninja. That's my nickname for him is the Route Ninja. 
I, you guys wait. I'm just getting warmed up with it too. You guys are gonna get. I'm gonna have like eventually a thumbnail with JS Ed, and he's gonna have the ninja mask on his face. I'll have his eyes backlit with the uh, the neon green Seahawk colors. I'm gonna go pretty. I'm gonna go probably a little over the top <laughs> with the uh, the thumbnails on JSN into the future. I've already got a few planned out, but Route Ninja is just perfect for him. It's perfect. You don't need to go even further, you know. Just that's that's the one right there to me. BP says, "B, where do you rank the wide receiver core? Is it top three or is it closer to top five? I I'd have a hard time not saying that it's a top three wide receiver unit. Certainly, the Dolphins have probably a little bit better with the one-two punch." And uh, I'm sure I'm missing another couple teams out there that might have a little bit of a, a one-two punch that's right there with DK and Tyler. Uh, certainly the Bengals, for instance, you know, they, they would certainly be a team that would say uh, <clears throat> us. Yeah, but there's, I, I think when you factor in the third guy into this equation, who's going to be this deep with this three guys, this strong and this deep, especially if JSN can be as impactful as I think he is. Let's just say, He's not as impactful as I'm kind of glowingly saying I think he might be. Let's say he is Amon St. Brown in his first year, and he gives you 750, 800 yards receiving. But Tyler and DK give you their typical years. Who out there is matching that level of production in the NFL? I don't even think a Tyler, Board, Tyler Boyd with the Cincinnati Bengals is going to get up to 850 yards receiving. So I would kind of easily put them into a top three stage of things. And I think they've got a fine argument to be made, especially once we start to see how good this guy really might be to quickly ascend into a top two, one state. When you really factor all three and not just the, the top heavy two as you would with most teams. Well, they got that, they got these two guys here. So you got to, you know, they have AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. So yeah, but our third guy's way better. Uh, why do I says it don't, it finally dawned on me who JSN reminded me of because it was in the back of my head but could not pull the name. Chris Carter. Elite ball skills, route running, but not the biggest or the fastest. It's a pretty good comp. And uh, the guy was, uh, I'll tell you what, a master of the one-handed catch. Uh, maybe the best in NFL history in the one-handed catch was Chris Carter back in the day. I mean, that was just a, he used to work on those things all the time. Um, I like the comp, man. I do. I think JSN is going to be a little more dynamic with the ball in his hands than Chris Carter was. Um, but they both have some very similar skills in how they win and probably similar similar builds to your point. I like that comp, man. Greg Kemp says, uh, Brandon, Steve Smith does tend to think all small wide, all small wide receivers can play outside though. <laughs> yeah. hey, you know, the little man syndrome's a thing, you know, and it does show up even in those analysts that are uh, really on point and know what they're talking about. It's going to bleed through a little bit, Greg, you know? Anybody that's dealt with someone who's had little man issues, it's it's always going to bleed through a little bit somewhere. So, just gotta you just gotta. That's the grain of salt with Steve, I guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, sons of Major JSN is the type of cat I draft second or third round in my fantasy football when I got down. He's gonna. I think he's gonna get some people help some people out in their league this year. That's for sure. Yeah, I get the Route Ninja. I got to get it on a t-shirt quick before people start stealing that off. That's what I got to get at my store like tonight is the Route Ninja. Yeah, I get the Route Ninja shirts up there. Get on top of this one. 
Kelly says, what do we do with poor Trey Brown? Kind of like Marquise Blair, in my opinion, with what's happening. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what his outlook is here with the team going forward, Kelly. Um, There have been people that have put forward a little bit as to whether or not maybe there is going to be a bit of a trade dangling going on out there for Seattle standpoint, where you have your stack of cornerbacks a little bit deeper than you need them to be. And so you can afford to maybe move a guy to then onboard an extra little bit of asset down the road. Uh, they did this a couple of years ago with member Witherspoon, the other Witherspoon we had here, Achilleo Witherspoon. Remember, we traded him to the Steelers and we got back a future fifth round pick for him. <clears throat> maybe there's something that they're going to see, see similar here with Trey when it's all said and done. Uh, I kind of think we still got to figure out where he is exactly, though, as a player. Is, is he back to where he was? I mean, we don't want to trade him now at his lowest value if he still is kind of rounding back into shape and he still has some upside to provide to the team then then if there is an injury you know we shouldn't have to feel pressed to move him just to move him Greg says i think spoon will be a good pick at the end of the day but i'd still much rather have picked carter he hasn't shown any signs of character issues since joining the league well said grug well said I can get, I get that. Uh, I can completely understand that. Herbert says, I bet K9 plays the first game too. I bet Charbonnet messed his shoulder up lifting weights. That's my worry right now, Herbert said, and that's more my, my, my gut. My gut's saying Charbonnet's shoulders sucks because he had, he went to, he went to ham in the weight room. And so I'm, I'm a little worried about it. I'm blaming the overhead presses. I think he tried to stack up the 80 pounds on each side on the overhead press and he heard something pop. Instead of telling him that he popped, he's like, it just hurts. And then they saw what popped in the MRI. George Harmon, uh, well, now that I look at it, it was a position for him too, but I feel I was at, at a game, right? Some, some reason, some reason. So I'm not quite sure. Still looking. Uh, well, now, now that I look at it, it was a petition for him too. But I feel I was at a game, right? Some reason, so I'm not sure, quite sure. I think I missed something there, George. Sorry, I might have missed a message there. Uh, oh, Marshawn, on Marshawn raising the flag. I feel like he did. I, I just remember in my mind, I remember seeing it in this, you know, seeing it on the screen, him raising it. If he hasn't, that'd be, it'd be weird if he hasn't, but he also just did kind of, I don't know. I gotta, we'll have to look it up here. Megan says, I was about to boot the Niner fan for trolling and B, but I knew you'd have some fun with him. Oh yeah, let him, let him sit in here. I got something for them, Megan. I got something for him. This year I've actually got ammo in my magazine. So, uh, you know, they could they could kick the injured injured horse who broke its leg, but the legs mended. And we got rehoofed. We got new shoes, new horseshoes on. Know what's up now? Why do I say Brandon not create the nickname uh, Route Ninja or just Ninja? It's a nickname he's had since the sophomore season in college. Yeah, I didn't come up with it. I just stole it better. <laughs> but I'm using it. Uh, we only got one more year of hearing that. The Niners are in a downhill trend with no Super Bowl to show. That's right. That's the, that's the sound of the Super Bowl window slamming beautifully shut. Sorry, you missed your chance.
Megan, uh, the window's already, the window's collapsing, B. I thought it slammed shut already. My bad. We just gotta, there, there's that, there'll be that beautiful, perfect moment this year where we will all, all of us, it'll be, it'll be like a sound everyone in the country all at once can hear at once. They don't even, even if they're not watching the TV, they'll just go, you know, they'll be like that moment. <gasps> what happened? Oh, the Niners Super Bowl window just closed. Flying Bind says that defense won't last forever. Us Fox fans know that. Well, let me give you a little uh, to Flying Blind's point on this. I'm hearing $34 million a year for Bosa. $34 million a year for the new Bosa deal. Good luck with that contract. Good luck. Gibson, I'm rooting for JSN. I'm glad he is showing promise. His route running can get help, can get our other wide receivers open and make the offense more versatile. It absolutely can. Uh, something that's been synonymous with your offense and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf since 2020 when, when you went bombs away, when Russ was let to be cooked or let to cook, however you say that. Whenever that occurred... You had defenses that eventually transitioned that season into more cover two looks, into more, at times, rolling their coverage on the very same play into one area, Tyler Lockett's zone, and then in the other area to DK Metcalf's zone. Not many defenses would put that much resources into it, but they could always count on the fact that your slots sucked, that you didn't have enough down there underneath to attack them, that you didn't have a quarterback that was committed to attacking underneath or in the middle. Well, now we have all of that. And hopefully that should peel off those double teams off the back end and provide DK and Tyler some more single team opportunities. And if you go look at the advanced stats, which do exist and are out there readily available, they all speak to the fact that in those rare occasions when DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett can get single coverage, they absolutely eviscerate that single coverage. So this is one of the reasons why you have defenses, of course, rounding it so often in their direction at such a high preponderance. Mario Edwards, yeah. I keep forgetting his name for some reason. I don't know why. Why do I say all players and coaches I've heard talking about Draymond is a beast this camp so far. He can be a difference maker. He sounded, ever, he sounded well worth what we paid for him. And that's great to hear. And he is a young guy. It's like Guccena where these are guys that have, have been ever getting ever better and ever better and better as they've been young players on that first rookie contract growing and growing. And now they're still into that ascent. They're still working on their game. And uh, you're seeing now them in their prime, rolling full steam, and uh, we, get a, we get the benefit from that. John Lee says, good news out of Broncos country. Let's ride. But Peyton downplayed Russell's rough practice today. Did he have a rough practice? Oof. See how it goes for poor Russ over there. See if he can make a go this year. We'll see how it goes. Uphill, uphill on that one. Uh, Megan says, B, got a question about Craig Verzorn, answered by John Boyle on the Hawks mailbag. Asked him to settle the debate. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what are you going to do? 
What are you gonna do? <laughs> Such a hard question, Megan. Kelly says, have you seen a few Devin Bush interviews? Since his dad played, he was cute. And as a kid, he asked his friends what team their dad played on. He generally seems like the sweetest. He seemed like a good guy. It was, yeah, it was a cool little interview. It'd be great if you can kind of get him back, right? You know, sometimes you just got to change organizations. You just need a fresh, fresh space, fresh place. Spuds Max says, Peyton only puts down other coaches. <laughs> So true. So very, very true. Logan Simpson, so Logan Simpkins says, watching JSN camp has been a thing of beauty. He moves so damn much, so damn quick and shifty that the defensive back struggles to get a hand near him and the versatility with the catch radius, hand and body catches. He just knows how to play the position, Logan, like you say. He's, he's a guy very advanced for his age and his skill set and just the variety of things he can do and changing his pace and his route running. And as you say, the, the, the corners can't get a good feel for him. It's always one of the great, I think, indicators of a receiver that just has some, some natural ability that goes beyond something that's easily measured. Uh, you watch a guy like Stefan Diggs, for instance. You know, It's not a guy that beats you with his size or some super speed. He's got uh, magnificent footwork, of course, but also just the way he can change his pace as a wide receiver for the cornerback going across from him. And he, he can just always keep them in a place of not being sure of exactly what he is going to do. Justin Jefferson does this really well, uh, too. And uh, I think that's every bit a part of JSN's game and what he brings. And it's, it's an underrated part of receiving because it's, again, I think a hard one to track as much, Logan, because you, it doesn't go to a statistic, you know, that you can put as a marker, you know. Um, it's something that more is truly what you see with the eye test, but you're, you're seeing it like I am, and it stands out in a major way. Why do I says you're the strong side safety in the too high shading DK, DK on the go route and JSN on the slant or a 15 yard in pattern. How do you want to die? This offense will make you pick your poison. Boy, it will ever. It will ever. And that's exactly the bind I think you're going to put defenses into. Do you want to let JSN you know, bleed you underneath or do you want to stay in your coverage over the top and keeping DK or Tyler bracketed? Which is the choice you want to lean to? Megan says, B, been on uh, various chats for other teams and they are genuinely scared of, uh, scared of us now that we have JSN, Spoon, and Charbonnet, even though he's injured. Well, they know. The Seahawks have put together a talented team that's very hard to put this much talent together this quickly because you're usually humstrung by the you know, amount of picks that you have and the amount of money that you have to spend. And the Seahawks got amped up. We got supercharged by the Russell Wilson deal. And uh, that's allowed for you to be able to build up a team that if you make those picks right and the Hawks made the right picks, we'll see if the players actually you know, can, can turn out to be what we think they should be. But on paper, they look like the right picks to pretty much everybody. It's hard to quibble with any of these picks and say, well, that was a reach or that was a whole overstretch over there. You may not love the pick versus maybe another selection they could have gone with, but you can't really look at it, I don't think, and say, that's a bad pick. That's a failure pick. That's a, that's a bust pick waiting to happen. And so when you look this good on paper and you're coming off the season they did last year, Megan, which is we got to a playoff, playoff game in a rebuild season when we had $57 million of dead money on our books. That's what you accomplished last year, starting six rookies across the board. And, and if you're accomplishing that, 
with all of that, you have a go kind of working against you. It's like now everything with the momentum is set the other direction. The wind is completely changing the other direction this season. And you go, man, if they're running that fast against the wind, how fast will they run with the wind? Justin Ski, how's Drew Locke doing? I haven't heard a lot about Drew Locke, Justin. There was about a first week of camp. I think he had about three interceptions. So he has not maybe necessarily synced up on the uh, don't throw picks attribute that he is trying to build upon. But um, haven't heard a lot other than that from him about that. Fine Bynes says the receiving core has all three major threats that you look for. Run after the catch, DK, deep threat, locket, underneath route runner, JSN. Not to mention the Cerebus of the tight ends. That's right. We still got the Cerebus tight end crew too. Can't forget about them. 1,100 yards last year, nine touchdowns cumulatively just from the tight end position. And all three of them return. All three of them able to play the tight end position in a complete fashion. Run block, pass protect, and go out there and be really good pass catchers. Absolutely well said, flying blind. And I agree 100%. There's nothing this receiving core can't do. Uh, Nate says, hey, B, what's your prediction of Geno's touchdowns and yards this year? Do we see better production or does his play dip? Uh, I don't see a dip at all. I think I think minimum he matches his numbers from last year. I think he improves on them a little bit beyond what they were. So I think he was at 4,200 yards last year. I think he's at 45 to 4,600 yards this year. I think he probably throws for 35 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Something like that sounds about right to me. Nathaniel Park says early NFC playoff predictions. I think you're going to get, uh, I still am knocking the Niners, but that's because Niners fans come to come in and patrol a little bit. But uh, I do think the Niners probably take the division at 13. I think 13 wins. I think we're at 12. Um, I think the Lions end up winning the uh, NFC North. I think the Falcons end up surprising everybody in the NFC, in the NFC South. And then I think you get the um, Eagles and the Cowboys as uh, your, your other playoff team out there. I think we have one other playoff team if I'm probably leaving one out. But that's that'd be the way I would see the playoffs probably rolling into the, on the looks of it, on the surface of it. And who knows what breaks down after that. Ray in the Cuts is kind of nervous about losing Shane if we really put this offense together. It would be tough. It, it would be tough to just as you get it going, he's gone. That would not be fun. But uh, I think the good part is that you're going to be a pretty prime target location for any really smart offensive-minded coordinator out there. I mean, you know, if you're looking between your jobs and you're considered a prime offensive coordinator candidate and Shane Waldron's gone, is there going to be a more attractive job to you in the NFL than coming to the Seahawks with the level of talent you have to work with? Is there going to look like more of a job that you can go to help get yourself back to a head coaching job then that's the ox job. The very example being the Shane Waldron's just going to get hired to be a head coach. So it's a little bit of an issue, but it's also something that doesn't necessarily mean there isn't maybe a solution to it that uh, doesn't mean that you don't have to take a big step back if Waldron does get hired as a head coach. Blind, blind. We said, we talking about sweetness in the chat? We do have some talk about uh, Walter Payton. Payton's all-time, all-time fun back to watch. Herbicide says no one was stopping sweetness when he does it. When he does it, he, when he does it, everybody, you can take it personal. Aaron Donald's highlight film is like 45 minutes versus the Hawks. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Nathaniel says, is Shane really the genius or is it more the talent that's yielding the results? There's probably a happy medium here, Nathaniel, where it's somewhere in between. And, um, I think that Shane Waldron is a very good offensive coordinator in this league. I think my proof of that would be that 
you got done what you got done starting two rookie offensive tackles for the first time in the modern age of the NFL. You did that starting three offensive rookies across the board. You did that with a journeyman quarterback who was playing his first full NFL season in 10 years. You did that without a slot wide receiver for a large portion of the year. You did that with all of your productivity after game 12, not having an offensive line that could do much to create offensive holes, nor do much to pass protect. So he wasn't really as much even last year when you look at the job he did, put in always a position to fully succeed throughout the course of the whole year last year. And yet he found success. And yet he made this offense one of the better ones in the NFL, not solely him, but by his guidance. So I I don't think he's a genius, but I do think that he offers a very bright mind to this team. And that that's the proof. That'd be my proof that uh, he brings it to bear. Flying Blind says, Peyton was my favorite underappreciated historical back. He has been kind of forgotten to time a little bit, Flying Blind, that's for sure. And rest in peace to Walter Payton. But a guy that's everything that you want in the running back position, from hands to a blocking ability and pass protection, and then what he was as a runner, no one was going to run with more ferocity and hunger than uh, Walter Payton. You know, run in and run out. Fantastic running back. Megan says, warn me if you do the neon green thumbnail, B, and I'll take my migraine meds. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Route Ninja just is perfect. Perfect. Isn't that flying blind? Just fits him. Logan says, Cup's injury doesn't seem significant, but indeed could miss week one. He tweaked uh, his hamstring and LA wants to remain cautious, so he won't even practice for the next few weeks. Ooh, very interesting. You got to figure too that they are going to be probably pretty, pretty careful with Cup throughout the course of the season, being this is a year I think that the Rams are going to lean heavily into that rebuild which is probably going to mean there's some good amount of games where Cup or Donald, or if it's on the line of them being able to play, they probably just don't play. I would, I would not be surprised if that's how that plays out. Why do I see Seahawks rookie getting this much hype the first week of camp? The only one I can remember is Kurt Warner. That's about it. And that one's just a shade before my time. That's right as I was becoming a Seahawks fan at that point, but... That, that was a top three pick, so you would understand why there was hype at that time, for sure. But I can't think of one either. My guess was maybe Galloway when you took him. But Aaron Curry didn't get this hype when he was coming out, and he was obviously a bust. But that's the part of this, too, is that you know the busts you don't hear about. The guys that don't have anything, there is no hype coming from them. There is no clips and cuts of them doing what JSN's doing. You just hear nothing but dead silence. Go back and show me the cut-ups of Dwayne Eskridge after he was taken as a second-round pick in training camp. Burning and toasting people. You won't find them. I'll save you some time. You won't find them. So it's, I think it is notable. Flying Blind says, Tyler Boyd didn't even hit 800 last season. And there we go. Who can, who can put as much a, we can, we can stack, we can punch for punch swing with you when it comes to wide receiver one and wide receiver two. Who can punch with us swing for swing when it comes to wide receiver three? Herbicide says, we play Burrow week five. Wonder if he even plays. Seems like that uh, calf thing might be keeping him out for a decent amount of time. It does sound like he'll come back this year, but it does sound like that week five might be a little bit treacherous for him to quite get to that spot, doesn't it? Yeah, good, good of you knowing that. I think that's going to be, because that certainly changes the scope of that game in a major way, playing on the road 10 a.m. And it, it can't be understated. Blind Blind says, I uh, love my short kings out there. I'm 5'6 and I'm 21. No hate to no hate to short kings either, and not all short kings are uh, are uh, you know have the uh, have the little man syndrome, but the men that have the little man syndrome, oh my goodness! 
That's all I'm saying. The rest are cool. The rest are cool flying by. <laughs> uh, Nathaniel, is Cup injured? Um, if I'm so, I'm trading him in fantasy SAP. Sounds like he's got a little bit of a hammy thing going on. His hammy's a little tight. Why do I say right? Boyd was the best uh, wide receiver three in the NFL last year and only had 750-ish yards. JSN can be a future Hall of Famer and still not have 8,000 yards that, and still not have 8,000 yards this season simply because of how good DK and Tyler are. It's true. It's going to pull a lot off. It's, it's hard. There's only so many touches to go around. And especially if you're feasibly going to have a team that's good and is up on teams and is trying to bury and put away teams more often than not, you're probably going to lean a little bit more in the run game in those kind of contests, which then take touches away from the wide receiver core as a whole. So it depends just how good the defense is. That's been my thing with this is that the, uh, the receivers on the outside could end up seeing their production uptick a little bit. Yes, by the fact that there's so many good ones on there, but then what if the defense isn't quite as good? This is a defense coming off one of the worst in the league last year. If, if they're doing the Detroit Lions thing like they did last year, where it's like we score a touchdown, they score a touchdown, we score a touchdown, and we have to keep scoring, that can then, of course, push up the production a little bit too. Not that I'm hoping for that. Uh, Greg Kemp says, Chris Carter, 6'3", 200. What's JSN? He is 6'1", 195, I believe. Yeah, I feel good about that. That's what he is. Seahawks Gaming says, I got Devon Witherspoon jersey, and he might not even start. <laughs> Hang strong, Seahawks Gaming. He's looked better since they got the pads on, man. It's looked a little bit better since the pads have come on. It was dicey there for the first day or two after the holdout. I'll give you that. Uh, Radu, Tour can. Can anyone tell me where else Hawks Eat is streaming? I'm considered first-timer. Uh, where else Hawks Nest is streaming? I'm confused. Uh, where else? Hawks Nest. I only stream, Radu, I only stream over here. So I don't have any other other place. I probably should stream other places. Uh, but this is the only spot I currently do. I might end up streaming a little bit more over on cross stream into Twitter and YouTube here because I can start to do that, I think, a little bit. But uh, I only do it over here on YouTube. I do on Wednesdays and Sundays. We do our live streams. Sons of Patriarchy, I want to throw back Nuosu sideline. That'd be a pretty cool jersey. That'd be a good investment. He ain't going nowhere anytime soon. Snail says, forget Carter. Should have taken Bijan Robinson. I wouldn't have been anti-Bijan. I love me some Bijan. Uh, Radu, I do have a little, I do have a Twitch channel as well, Radu. So if you look up the Hawks Nest on Twitch, Hawks Nest on YouTube, something like that is the name on Twitch. You can actually find it. It's in my description section. So you should see the Twitch link still in there. I don't do a lot of stuff on Twitch because video games haven't been the best lately, but uh, I do every once in a while do stuff over there. But it's mainly just here. Seahawks Gaming says Blueprint reminds me of Al Alvin Kamura for some reason. Yeah, I can see a little bit of that. Kamura's, Kamura's got those weird, weird freakish hips that, that kind of separate him from me a little bit. But the both of them, the change of direction, explosiveness is certainly very similar. Flying by JSN is the perfect slot for us right now. I think he'll develop into an everything threat, but with Tyler and DK, it doesn't need to be that right now. Exactly. I agree. I agree. It's good to hear, Greg, too, that even the top 100 players, even players in the Hawks are talking about it. Like, the top 100 is a joke right now. This year might be the worst. I, I've seen some bad one top 100 lists, but this season's been one that's been like, 
did you guys put this together? Like, did you just throw the names into a hat and then just pull them out randomly and then put the list together that way? Uh, Radu Turkan, where does he answer these questions, YouTube chat? So Radu, uh, the one thing that makes me a little bit unusual, and we have a lot of new people, I should probably be acknowledging this a little more because we're growing and I'm getting a lot of new subscribers and I don't mention this enough. I am a little bit of an oddity here on YouTube. I've been doing this channel for four years. And when I go live, I have this tendency, we're not going to do this today because I got to close it down a little bit early and I'll definitely get your questions. But um, I do have a tendency, as I've heard this a couple of times with new folks that have come in the chat recently, I try to respond to everybody or if there's a question, respond to every question as I can in the chat. Um, and I do it as a respect thing. I do it because I like doing it. Um, it's it's not a, a thing where I'm trying to ignore people that are in the live action of it. But if you've asked a question, I'm trying to address everybody. So it does lead me to be then behind the chat by, by a decent amount. I'm sorry for that. But it's just kind of the thing that's my, sort of my thing. You know what I mean? And uh, it's why we go with some usually typically four or five hours long here on the stream. Uh, I try to get to all those answering of all those questions. But uh, it does make me a little slower on staying on top of things at times. Uh, Brandon D-Boy, Brandon, it seems that you're big on love. So my question is to free up cap, to free up cap and space, would you get rid of Jamal? Answer with caution. I get triggered easily. You know, Jamal is my favorite player. I don't really see the upshot of getting rid of Jamal at this point, D-Boy, unless the Seattle Seahawks coaches do not feel he's going to get on the football field this year. If they don't feel he's on the football field this year, if they don't feel he's going to be anywhere close to what he was prior as a player, then I would advocate for moving on from him right now. If they think that he is and there's a good chance he's going to come back this year and get back to where he was or close to where he was or help this team win football games, let's put that as the bottom line, then I'm in favor of keeping him because there's really not a substantial amount of money that you're saving on this year's cap by moving him. Post-June 1st, designating him next year will save you a significant amount of cash if that's what the team wants to do. Not that I'm advocating for that right now, but I'm thinking that's more of the place that the fork in the road appears. To me, there's really no fork in the road at this moment. It's this is the route you're probably going to go because I'm anticipating he is going to get back on the field this year and he is going to be able to play. That's because that's everything that they've told us. So it's it's really only measured by that for me. I lean into keeping him D-boy um, uh, above all else. But if you don't have him back this year, if he's not coming back, if, they, if they're like, man, he's just not able to even go full speed. You know, we can't we, we don't know when he's going to practice. I mean, if that's the case at that point, I, I don't want to kind of take that risk if if that's the reality of it. But just short of that, you you got to run with him this year. It wasn't there wasn't enough money to be saved. You signed the deal too recently to try to clear yourself out from under it without it just being a deal where you're just cutting bait to basically lose money. Which no 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 no. I won't do that. No, I don't. I don't want to lose cat money. Blind blind Parkinson's up to 260. If he can block like he's 260, he'll become even better red zone threat. The good news here is we've got a little bit of a taste of this last year. I'd imagine that he was even up around 250 last year. As you could see from, you know, go look at Kobe Parkinson's body at Stanford. Go look at Kobe Parkinson's body now. It is two different bodies. He has definitely added a lot of good weight throughout as a pro. And he was already showing himself to be a pretty, a, a much improved blocker from his Stanford days last year. And if you look at his grades all the way down the line with PFF, game in and game out, and this match to the eye test, he was really good in that aspect of things. So he's turned into a strong blocker. This will only make him even better going into this year. It's why I say when it comes to Fant, Disley, or Parkinson, they're the full meal deal at the tight end position. You know, you're getting the happy meal, you're getting the burger, you're getting the fries, you're getting the toy at the bottom. They can do everything you need a tight end to do. 
And that's hard to find one of those guys in the team that can do all the things, to have three of them like they do, and they're all just a side dish to the offense. Phenomenal. ZZZZ, Nuoso will have 11 plus sacks. I agree, ZZ. I think they'll be more efficient with him this year in the rotations, and that'll make him more effective. And yeah, I think he's going to end up over 11 sacks this year. Radu says, can Parkinson become the tight end one? I believe he can, Radu. I I believe he can because he has well-rounded himself in the way that he is. Because Will Disley is still dealing with it, seems like, you know, they got him sitting out. I don't know where that knee is. He's had those two major injuries in his career early on. You do wonder if a little bit of that is how much has he, you know, he's come back and he has played and he's still been very effective as a player. But, you know, you do wonder if, especially the money that this team could save after next year, they might not look a little bit more towards Parkinson, a younger player, fresher legs, you know, into the future if if they want to go down that line. Um, not saying they will, but I can see where the door could open up to that. And with Noah Fant going into his last year here, Radu, you could end up with Parkinson as your tight end one by just default not having anybody else on the roster. But he is capable of doing it. He came on strong last year. He showed that he could do everything you need to do a tight end. When he came out of Stanford, he was a guy that was a pass catcher, H-back, tight end type he has become an inline guy. He's made himself that guy. And it's the commitment in the weight room. And then it's the commitment to improve as a blocker as he has at the same time. Logan says, Bronco fans on Twitter are still talking about Draymond Jones four months later. That's how you know they're bitter. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so, Logan, what you're saying is uh, what the Zach Allen kid is not satiating the Draymond Jones loss. Because <laughs> they signed basically Zach Allen for the same mon- the money of Draymond Jones. Um, but that's pretty funny that, that they're going, Ugh, you know, they wanted to hold on to him. Seahawks came to Broncos back a year ago and said, we want Draymond and Broncos said, we'll give you Shelby Harris. And so Seahawks went, okay. So they got back around to him. Seahawks have obviously been high on this guy for a while. And, uh, he's a good player. He's a good player. He's got a unique skill set inside. That's hard to find something the Seahawks have not been able to add to their defense, I think, in quite a bit of time. When we had really a real dynamic inside pass rusher, Jerron Reed had a couple of seasons where he supplied some pass rush, but this guy's a whole different kind of cat in the way that they did it. Sometimes with Jerron, it could be a little bit more of the cleanup sack, high effort, high motor plays. The quarterback's flushed up into the pocket by the edge rush, and Jerron's got a special application to be able to just you know, clean those kind of plays up for a nice sack. This guy's a guy who's going to generate the quick pressure, the twitchy pressure, the, you know, the pass rush win rate up through the roof kind of statistic that you'll look at with him. So I'm glad to hear they are, though. You're right, Logan. It is an indication that you got yourself a good player when the fan base is still kicking themselves over it. Mike Smith says, would you, uh, what would Nick Nolte say about, the, about Bosa? Nick Nolte would come into the room and he would down himself a fifth of whiskey He would light up a cigarette, but then he would only take two full long draws off the cigarette, never exhaling off the first draw. And then he would say, God damn it, why are you going to give $34 million? God damn it, just give a bitch. You don't give that kind of money on the NFL. Jesus Christ. So Nick's not really big on, you know, he's a big Niner fan and, uh, he just does not want to give him the $34 million. You know, he's he's kind of upset about it. God give that thing a third. Who doing this? I don't even know. God damn it. It's a dog, Jesus Christ. God damn it. So Nick's pissed. Nick's an unhappy man when it comes to the deal, you know. It's $34 million a year for, for a pass rusher. I know he's good. I know he's the defensive player of the year. I know every Niner fan's going to scream in my ear, he's worth it. But it's $34 million a year. 
That's like three Ochenas. I could get like three Ochenas for one Bosa. Spudback says, no way we want them and the Saints do, uh, no way we want them and the Saints to do poorly affects our draft pick. Yeah, we want the Broncos to do poorly. Or is the, we have the Saints pick? That do we have? That was the Broncos pick we had. Nathaniel Park says, what pick do we have of the Saints? Yeah, I think we got the, we got the Broncos pick, not the Saints pick. If I remember correctly. Roger, the scrubber says, football God's not done smiting the ponies just yet. <laughs> the penance has not been paid. <laughs> Pay the toll. Pay the toll, Broncos. Pay the toll. Why do I? I don't think they will. But if John Schneider pulled off some trade for Buckner, such game on. Oh, I would be so hyped if they do. I will be... I will be on I will be on one as they say, as the kids say, if they do that. Let's go. Nathan has never been high on Parkinson. Is there something I'm missing that really separates him from Fant, Disley, et cetera? I don't know if there's a separating factor as much as there's a guy that's you know increasingly gotten better as a player. And if we go back to him when he was drafted, he was a guy that there was some some scuttlebutt coming from the Seahawks camp on this, that this was a guy that they had even a first round grade on with his skill set. You know, he had a lot of good contested catch ability coming out of Stanford as a pass catcher and a route runner and with really good hands and his high point, the ball ability on that big six foot seven frame, it stood out. It was a part of his game that was big, but then it was the blocking that you really got worried about with him from the Stanford side of things. Um, and that's been the part that he has steadily gotten better at. And at the same time of getting better from a technique standpoint in the blocking area of things, he's added good weight. He's gotten stronger functionally, which shows up in the blocking game where he's not just winning blocks. You know, he's not just putting himself in front of the guy and kind of holding on for dear life, not holding, but, you know, holding on to the block essentially for dear life for the second and a half until he crumbles backwards as we saw guys like Jimmy Graham used to do. He's now putting his authority and stamp on it and getting that guy pushed up the field, sealing the block up, getting some actual push. So is he giving you something that's tremendously different than those two guys? Not necessarily. But with Disley after this year, he may be a guy that the Seahawks look to clear off the books, restructure, because that's one of the spots that they can clear some money. And as we're looking at the future cap situation as it stands right now, the Hawks are going to probably have to move a little bit of money around next year, especially if that's their true go forward year. If that's the year that with their earmarking to say, okay, now, if you're going to do that, you got to have some money to spend. And they don't have right now as it stands a lot of money to spend to go out there and be active to sign that big market deal that some of you have advocated for them doing next year. So you might have to clear some money off the books to make that happen. And with Fant, you have a guy, Nathaniel, that's one year out. I think he is different than Fant and that he's a better blocker than Fant. Fant is more of your H-back tight end type. Parkinson's been able to round himself into being both an H-back or an inline guy. So he does provide you a little bit of versatility that neither, as I think about this, that neither Fant nor Disley give you. Disley's not going to play an H-back type guy and, and Fant's not going to, you know, you're not going to want to have Fant do too much inline stuff. You'll have him do it here and there, but not often. Herberside says, I, we have so much talent, I don't see record stats from any of them except Gino. Makes sense. Makes sense, man. Matthew Glendez, haven't felt this confident about a season in a minute. Great job to Pete and John. Just hoping they meet or exceed the season's expectations. Me as well, Matthew, wonderfully put. And I feel the very same way. Logan says, eight days till Seahawks ball. Let's go. Let's go. Buzz back. I believe our fourth round pick is based on the worst of Denver and the Saints. So if they are both bad, we get a better pick. Okay. 
Let them both suck. They suck again. Big Docs, any good or bad noise on the edge rusher from Auburn? Spacing on his name. Sucks to get old. Uh, Derek Hall, um, I, dude, I'm in the same place as Dick Docs. It's, 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 it, it, I'm, I'm getting afflicted more and more. I'm not going to say it's dementia, but maybe dementia. Uh, yeah, Derek Hall. I haven't heard much about Derek Hall so far. Pads just got on, um, and so he is a rookie with that and, and probably just kind of finding his way, but not really heard anything coming out yet of Derek Hall at this moment. Brian, people feeling... I, I'm sure too. He's hard. Probably having a hard time getting a run to Dick Docs because you have figure Boye, Daryl, Uchenna. And there's only so many snaps. Brian says people are feeling better about the defensive line now. Think it's going. Think it's going to be much better. I hope so. I'm feeling more encouraged about it. That's for sure. Especially with the translation of Jaron Reed to the nose tack. I know some people aren't as hyped about that one, but I do like the intelligence of the approach behind moving him in there. I think it's smart. James uh, Marquis says, thanks for your talk about football. You have improved the quality of my life. Keep hard. Well, thank you, James. I really appreciate that, man. That's uh, kind of you to say, and I'm happy to do so. I love doing this, man. It's my favorite thing in the world. So I appreciate you listening, appreciate you watching, and I'm glad it's uh, glad it is entertaining on the other side of it too. It'd suck if you just had those first two uh, spots. <laughs> so thank you, man. Appreciate you. Uh, May says, okay, 12 is a new painkiller, and I'm dozing off. Hope to uh be around tomorrow but we'll see how i go sounds good megan you have yourself a great great night randa mcdaniel with a five dollar donation appreciate you megan for all you do on the modern uh says uh hypothetically and thank you for the five dollar donation randall says hypothetically if the colts called us and offered taylor for walker they'd need to include a draft pick they'd have three years club control and we'd have to pay jt Mm. 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 Yeah, um, I think that they would have to actually offer us kind of a significant draft pick as well. You have Jonathan Taylor coming off of an injury-riddled season. You have Jonathan Taylor about due to be paid. Uh, no one is paying running backs right now. What I've heard on this, Randall, and it's been pretty pretty adamant about this, it's, it's not been that there's a team that's going to jump up and offer something super sweet. The, the price of what maybe Jonathan Taylor's really worth versus the price that teams around the league are, are willing to pay by the measure of an average fan and them looking at the situation saying, well, okay, Taylor's at least worth the second round pick, even if I have to pay him a big contract on top of that. I don't know that that's the case here. And I think that there's maybe even a third round like value, fourth round like value attached to Jonathan Taylor because of his situation as it stands right now. So when you talk about having a walker, like you say, with the three years of club control and cheap, and then you're flipping that for a Taylor who you don't have that club control, who's not cheap, who's coming off the injury season. I'll tell you, Randall, I wouldn't even want to make that deal, to be honest with you. Give me the three years of club control with Walker and his upside and where he's going versus, you know, Jonathan Taylor, where, you know, he already had a lot of carries taken off of him with his, with the constant days. And the Colts have only, you know, kind of leaned on him a good amount since he's got into the league with them too. So I wouldn't do it myself on that unless the Colts are offering us a tasty pick back on the other side of it, which they're not in go for enough mode at this point. Having a rookie quarterback starting for them as they're going to, I don't think they're positioned to be able to make that kind of move. So I like where your head's at as far as the creativity of the deal, but I, I just think that the Hawks are in more of, they've got so much of a better asset at that point, even with Jonathan Taylor having on his on his career rushing stats an 1,800-yard you know, thing, even though he's going theoretically into his own prime here, all that's true, but 
you've got the Walker aspect of this that can't be undersold, I think. Uh, Brian Myers, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate it, Brian. This is Brandon and fellow 12s. Have you ever spent time in a debate with someone who swears the NFL is rigged to the point they compared it to the WWE? Uh, I've gotten a couple people in the chat as far as discussion-wise that are, you know, that that take that stance on it. Um, and I'm I'm certainly, you know, this went to a point of a, this went to a kind of a meme spot last last year, didn't it? Uh, where you had, um, you know, you had uh, people saying that it was script and, and then you're having NFL players being like, I didn't get my script, you know, when I, I didn't get the script on when I tore my ACL and stuff. So, that, you know, there's people that take this to an extreme degree on the rigged thing. Um, I think the people that do say the rigged thing are saying it more in the aspect of rather than being out and out rigged from stem to start, like a WWE match would kind of be, it's more of, uh, well, even WWE, I guess, is more of even they're not really rigging the whole process of the fight. Those guys just live kind of figure out one way or another. And then at the end, they sort of decide who's going to get over, I guess, is the technical term. Um, but I would say that uh, there's some understanding of where this comes from. We are a team, after all, Brian, that has the 2005 Super Bowl on the books. And if you're going to talk about the most rigged game I've watched in my lifetime of any sport, of any team, whether our home team, away team, a team I'm watching on national television, a game, whatever it could be, wherever it could be. That was the most rigged game I've ever seen in my life. Bar none. Like I almost gave up my fandom to the NFL after that game. Legit. So I get where the, I'm not on the board with those people and where they're coming from. You have things too that are really suspect. So you have two years ago, no defensive holding in the secondary call throughout the whole entire game of the in the Super Bowl, right? Not called. We're going to let them play. We're going to let them play rough. We're going to let them play physical. We're going to let them just kind of, you know, you, you got to find a way. We're not going to bail you guys out. Let the players decide. You go through a whole entire game. You don't call it. And then the final game, of the, the final drive of the game, on the most impactful play of the game, you pull out a flag calling defensive holding. Okay. Then the very next year, this last year in the Super Bowl, you have another Super Bowl that goes through the whole course of the Super Bowl game without there being a defensive holding call. In the secondary, on either side, you're letting them play. You're telling the players you're going to let them play. And then you pull a flag on the most impactful play at the end of the game on the final drive. It looks a little suspect. I ain't saying it means that there's a fire, but I am saying that there's some smoke a-blowing. And I get where people are coming from that take that and go, there's a little bit of a sign. There's a little bit of something not smelling right here. I don't know that it means that it's out now rigged, but... It's sus. One of the reasons I harp on removing the subjectivity in some of these calls so you don't double back around to these kind of situations and you can remove this kind of talk wholly from the sport. I don't think you can remove all the subjectivity, but you can take bigger steps to removing some of it, I guess. Thank you though, Brian. Appreciate you. Uh, Randall, thank you for the another $5 donation. Thanks, Randall. Hope you're having a good night, brother. It says, pro comp Andre Jones. He has reached his ceiling. What are his strengths and weaknesses? Pro comp. Mm. Pro comp is really hard, Randall, because, you know, he's been a 3-4 end. There's not a lot of, historically speaking, 3-4 ends that are really
really dynamic, you know, pass rushers from that position. And if they are, you know, Randall, they're more your Richard Seymour types that are going to be the 6'4", gargantuan guys that are doing it with power and strength and leverage. And, um, you know, he's he's going to do it more from being explosive inside. A good first step. He's got um, excellent hands. You know, he's got the just, he, he, it's like a, like a machine that's like tearing things apart, you know, as it's coming down the conveyor belt. That's his, his hands are like that when an offensive lineman's coming up. And so he can just violently knock hands away, rip hands off of him. Um, and he knows just what kind of move to use at just the right moment as a pass rusher um, for what's required. And that's such a smart, it's a tough skill because it's so much more immediate than it is on the outside. When you're an edge rusher, you've got a moment to kind of think, okay, I'm going to counter back inside. I'm going to come in with a swim move with, with inside. It's more bump, 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 bump. You know, you've got to, you've got to make that call quick and you've got to be right about what it is you're seeing. So um, he's, he puts those things together really well, which helps him then free up and get some really, really quick pressure then as a 3-4 end and get in the backfield and be very, very disruptive in a way that um, you wouldn't expect for a guy that's at his size because he's about 280, 285-ish, maybe at most. And so, um, you know, he's not a big he's not a big dude down in there. Um, but he's got a good enough amount of power. Um, he's really good as a pass rusher, a problem inside. Um, the one issue I think that's there with him is that, you know, you can go after him in the run game. He is undersized, so if you want to attack him and go right at him, you can do some of that in the run game. And there's, you know, he's not necessarily going to have the sand in the pants to hunker down. He's not, you know, going to be able to hold up necessarily right there at the point of attack. But he can chase things down. He can get penetration. Um, and you're going to oftentimes have him, Randall, aligned as the weak side defensive end. So teams tend to run to their strong side. So you can kind of manage some of how much he gets attacked, I think, in the run game on top of being able to rotate him out on early downs if you really wanted to. Because Denver does... They did a heavy amount of rotation there over the last couple of years on that line. They did. They had their starters. He was a starter, but it was still kind of heavily rotated through. He strikes me a little bit, Randall, of when you on your question about as he reached his ceiling. I mean, he's definitely very close to getting to his ceiling. Has he quite gotten there? I don't know if he has necessarily, because he has been playing. If you think about it, on a on a on a Broncos team that's not been particularly good over the last few years, and it's also a Bronco team that's offense has been so bad over the last few years that's continually putting that defense in a position of going back out there and playing too many snaps every single season. And that's causing those guys to get worn down and probably causing those guys to look worse for the wear over the course of the year due to the fact they're getting tapped out so much. So now what happens if he goes now to a team that's got an offense that can produce, that can control the football, that can now take down that snap count of what he's been dealing with year in, year out and remove 25%. Like Uchenna, if you could do that this year versus what you did with him last year, does that then make him overall a more effective player because he can play without having to save anything in the tank? You know, every snap, he can go full hard every single time. And uh, I think that that's what that opens up to. So is he pretty much at the ceiling? Yes, but like Uchenna, maybe there's still just a little, another six inches of room that they can still go up another little bit higher. That's, there's a part of me that does believe that that might still exist with both those two guys. And I think the Seahawks feel that way too, especially with the Chen and giving him that contract. Thank you though, Randall, for the $5 don't know. Appreciate you. D-Boy, is there any, is there a 49er channel live that I control? Anyone know? <laughs> Seahawks says, I think Derek Hall will be a star. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Brian says, I think Burns is still on the roster. He still is on the roster. 
Peyton Hills. Oh, I forgot Herbicide. Yeah, Sweetness could throw the rock too. Forgot that he could throw it. Snails, his early predictions on head coach opening at the end of the year that Waldron will have to choose from? New England? No, I'm kidding. Who will be open? Probably Washington will be open. That'll probably look pretty like a pretty nice little spot to potentially go to. Um, Saints job could be opened up. Who else other than that? Well, that'd be all the off off the top of my head. New England might be a legitimate one. I mean, if they don't go out and play well this year, I wonder how long Bill's going to stay in there on that one. Um, as he is getting up there now. I suppose that would be about it. Raiders. Raiders would be another one he he possibly could go do. I don't know who would want to go play under Davis though. I would avoid that. I would not recommend Waldron go there. No bro says, who's your NFL comp for Jackson Smith and Jigba? My comp with him coming out was Jack was Amon St. Brown. I thought that he was very similar in what they, what they both did, how they did it. Um, it's certainly starting to go a little bit higher now as you look at him with what you're hearing. Um, but I don't know if I've got a guy that necessarily stands out. Um, I mean, Justin Jefferson is kind of a little bit of like what you're thinking a bit here. I mean, they're both, I think, just about the same size. I think they're both 6'1", aren't they? Let me double check on Justin Jefferson. Not going to come up, of course. I'll have to take a look and see what... uh... Oh, here we go. So four four though. Justin Jefferson was faster as a forty time, and then obviously I think yeah, they're both six one. So I mean, they're both. That's kind of your high upside. The low upside would be Almond St. Brown, and the high upside would be a Justin Jefferson. Like that's your both opposite ends of the scale. But I'll stick with my Almond St. Brown comp for what my original comp was. I think Julian Edelman, no bro, as a comp as well as it definitely fits. I mean, that might be the best of the bunch right there too. The ox is how did he catch it one-handed while running? I don't know, man. He makes it look so smooth. Derek Gilbert says, I'm still in disbelief we get to watch JSN catch the ball for us this year. It's going to be fun, Derek, especially with what he's adding to the mix and all you got to work with. It's going to be fun. No doubt about that. 
excuse me. HB says, do you ever think Russ will admit he made a terrible business decision or is he too far gone? Um, well, it's always tough on this. I'm trying to HB because I get enough blowback on folks I know don't want to hear about Russ talk as much. I, I think, you know, um, I, I don't think that he's going to get to that point of things. I don't. I, th I think one of the issues and maybe Russ grows in this way, but Russ doesn't have a lot of things I think that are negatives about him overall as far as I think he's a good human being and a great husband and um, good in the community and seems to have a lot of uh, big ambitions, you know, to help the world out, which you love. Um, but I do think there's a place where there's a little bit of an issue in the accountability factor of it, uh, with recent track record. And I don't know that that's changing anytime soon. Uh, maybe, maybe you do reach kind of the final point where you kind of get that wake up, but I'm not sure that it's gotten to that spot yet. I'm not trying to shade him too much. That's just my take on it. Oh, and do me a favor, folks, do please hit that like button if you could for me. And if you're not subbed up, please do get subbed up. We're trying to get up over 15,000 this year and we're on the road to get there, but we need some more. So get on subbed up if you're not already. My cat says, get subbed up. That's what she just said. Thet AM says, uh, bold prediction, Parkinson, Parkinson becomes a red zone touchdown machine this season, 10 plus. I love it, man. And that's how Stanford used him quite a bit back there. So I could see it happening again. You know, that's certainly a skill set that they haven't utilized as much, but just in their way to happen. And that was one place that did pick up for Parkinson last year was a little more red zone usage. Pumpkin jumped to Nick Nolte's voice. Uh, Ethan Bray Brando, how would Jerry respond to the comment of drafting Deuce Vaughn looking like Pee Wee football player running around the rest of the team? Hey, Steven, Steven, where's my son? Where's my no good boot licking son? Where you at? Where you at? Daddy, I'm over here, Daddy. What's going on? Yeah, you, you, get over here, you little son of a bitch. What is that out in the football field? Why did we draft a toddler? Daddy, he was one of the better running backs last year in football. He's from Texas. I don't care if he's from Texas. He is a tiny boy. Tiny boys don't run on football fields. We need men. I need gargantuan men. This is the Dallas Cowboys. When does anything in Texas happen small? Who taught you, boys? Is this from your mother? Is that where you get this? Daddy, I just, I just he's really quick in short spaces, Daddy. He, he's good with the ball in his hand. I don't care if he can spin on his head with the ball. Get him off the field. I'm not paying baby rates over here. Do you know how much we're going to get sued if he gets hurt? Child labor laws alone, my boy. What are you thinking? Jerry's not happy about it. Radu says, hey, what do you think about Evan Brown to right guard or left guard or center doesn't work out for him? I think Radu, he provides you that flexibility to play in those two positions. Um, it seemed like his, his, better, his better spot was in Detroit at center. So if you have him moving over to right guard or left guard, he can play it. He can probably hold up and do okay in that role but it's not his strength. And he's not going to beat out, let's say, Damian Lewis at left guard. And he's probably not likely to beat out Phil Haynes at right guard either. If he can't get there at center, he's, he's probably not starting. 
Nelson Seahawks uh, Steelers Super Bowl was just as rigged as the WWE. That one was. That's my one game. I'm not a guy that go to that stuff very often, but I do there. Brian says, if you told me the ref and Steelers Super Bowl had been bribed to help them, I might believe you, but that game was not rigged. That's a tough one for me, man. I, I don't go to this very often, but that's the one game I do. I just, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Radu says, I think brown and right guard's the better move. Might be, might be. Based on what I was just doing when I did the research on him coming out of Detroit, the, the scuttlebutt was more that he was, he was fine at right guard for them, but he was a better at, a little bit better at center. Uh, Nathaniel says, uh, why trade Fant when your three tight end sets were so good last year and you do not have a talent overload at the position? I don't think that they look to move. Uh, I don't think they look to move Fant. Um, if, they, if there was a reason to move Fant, Nathaniel, it would be that you could clear $6 million off the books which could better help them to go out and accommodate another move that they'd look to make. And if they're looking to go away from the three tight end sets this year a little bit more, i.e. because of the fact that they've got a third wide receiver to run out of the slot this year, maybe you don't lean to feel like the three tight ends are as important in managing that on this team this particular season. But I'm not looking to necessarily move them as just we have to do it, you know. Uh, Ethan says, what percentage do you, th- do you give three wide receiver sets for three tight end sets? 40, 60, 50, 50. I'm thinking it leans more towards the three tight end sets, but it would be great to get the wide receiver trio out there as much as possible. I think you actually end up running more three wide receiver sets this year than you run two tight end sets. Um, I, you, you obviously aren't going to just run between those two personnel groupings, Ethan, but um, I do think that if we're talking about the total snaps between those two and separating goal line situations and you know, two tight end sets and four wide receivers. And we're just saying between these total snaps, how much did you go wide? How much did you go three wide? How much did you go to to three tight ends? I think they're probably like 80, 20, 70, 30, even in three wide receivers versus the three tight end sets. They'll still be running a lot of two tight end sets, but it's going to be all across the board. You know, there's, and it might differ too, Ethan, by the type of opponent you're paying, you're playing and what they are weak at. Radu says, do you, what do you think of Drew Locke? Do you see a starting, do you see him starting after Gino is gone or will we draft a quarterback in the next years? I don't think he's going to be the future here at quarterback, Radu. I think that, uh, you know, I think that the team's fine with having him as a backup option here now and eventually he'll probably move on. I think the team will look to eventually draft a guy, um, but I don't know if they're looking past Gino at this point or see Gino as a guy that they might be able to keep here for the next four years, five years. So I think it's a fluid situation. But I don't think within that fluid situation, Drew Locke is part of the long-term plan. I just didn't think there was much of a market out there for him this year. And so he decided to go back to Seattle, which is a good spot to maybe come in and get the opportunity. I think he can get in. I think he could be a guy that has a very much where I do a similar trajectory to what happened with Geno Smith, where once he does get his good second opportunity that he does flourish in that role and really take off. Um, he didn't get the best of first opportunities with Denver there, much like Geno didn't get the best of his first opportunity with New York. But Max is speaking of rigging, the 2005 Super Bowl would be the poster child. It would be. 
It would be that. I, I mean, it's it's such one that just stands out to me. Herbert says, how many uh, sacks do you see Reed getting this year? Woods had three. I don't think he gets past three, Herbicide. I think he'll struggle to even get to three because he'll be maintaining more of a run-stuffing role because you don't have a real good zero tech you feel good about right now, which to me just means you're going to be running him out there as many snaps as humanly possible, which means he'll get more bites, but then I think that too does mean that he's just down there kind of taking up space, taking on two blockers. As I kind of said in that video I dropped a couple days ago, going back to the roots of what he did at Alabama, um, which means as it was with Alabama Herbicide where he didn't have a lot of pass rush production, that's the part that does go backwards from that. Not in a bad way, just as a way of, you got to pull from one to add to another kind of a little bit. Logos, his only reports I heard about Phil Haynes was a day ago. He had a good series of reps against Taylor Nuosu. Evan Brown is still the better option with more upside as he's capable of more in pass blocking. It's possible. It's possible. Besides this, let's talk about the Damian Lewis contract. I don't know if you can sign Damian Lewis to a contract extension. You have a limited amount of money that you have going into next offseason. He's not really a pure scheme fit for what you want to do here. Um, I like how he's grown as a player. He's not a star at the at his level of play where he's at. So he's like, what is the contract going to be worth? Is there a mid-tier deal that you can really come to with that guy that's acceptable? And I tend to think that he's going to be worth more money than probably we want to pay for a guy that's not necessarily a scheme fit for what you do. Not that he's a bad player or isn't functional as a player, but that's that's definitely an issue there in trying to get a deal done with him, I think. Probably why a deal why they haven't really gotten to a point of trying to get a deal done yet with him at this point. Byron D, only problem I have with Phil Haynes is durability. He's serviceable though. He's serviceable. It's a good way to put it. Isaiah, I hope uh, the Hawks can develop Landers and Bobo too. I think the big hope there is that you can eventually get those guys both stashed on the practice squad, which will maybe be the big key beyond whether they can develop them. Those guys have the talent to get out and eventually get on football fields and help you win. But you might need to have them built in to have the time of the practice squad to get that done because you don't want to lose Eskridge. You don't want to lose Dariq Young. So that's going to be the real important key with those two particular guys. Real important key. And... uh, we are not going to be going super late tonight, guys, because I've got to I've got to go and watch my buddy's dogs. I got to go let him out and all that stuff here, and go over there. So we'll be uh, probably in about a little bit here, wrapping this. You know, not soon, soon, but somewhat soon, um, as I want to make sure I can get back over there. Um, save the geese! Thank you for the ten dollar donation. I do appreciate it. Save the geese. Very kind of you. Hope you're having a good night, and I appreciate all of the support on the channel from everyone there tonight. Thank you so much. It says, just caught the stream. Can't wait until week one against the Rams. Oh, I love I love that we get to start against the Rams. I love that it's not a week one Eagles game that we get to kind of slide on into the NFL season. I mean, man, we remember how treacherous we were looking at that Broncos game as the first game of the year, and man, it got to start out just fully turned up to 150%. Let's go. We can kind of just let's look. I'm not taking the Rams lightly. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy dub. I'm just saying I like that as my initial setup to beginning the season. That's all I'm saying. So uh, I can't wait either, man. We now find ourselves starting to push almost within a month of the start of the NFL season. It is just right around the corner. Can you taste it? Can you feel it? Can you smell it? It's almost here. But thank you so much, man. I appreciate you on your support, Save the Geese. It's good to see you in the chat tonight, too, brother. Almost there. Almost there. 
Nick Knox, speaking of weight, is Cross looking a little larger this season? Uh, maybe a bit. It's kind of hard to tell in the practice squad or on the practice field. You know, they don't have always the, the best of shots to kind of make that measure. I'd be surprised if he wasn't a little bit bigger. Lucas looks bigger. I've seen him on a couple of shots. He, he looks noticeably a little bit more thicker. Ethan Tech will then be Doug Comp for GSN. Mm, no, I think they're two different players. I mean, they both rely on quickness. They both have first step quickness. They both have good footwork. They both have good hands. They both have ball skills. They can both catch the ball out away from their body. There are a lot of com comparatives between them. Um, but there's just something that feels a little bit, they're majorly different between the two. And maybe I should consider a little bit more because the more I think about it, maybe there is a little closer of a comparison there. But something doesn't feel quite on the button with that comp for me. Uh, Jack says, JSN doesn't have long speed, but he has the special ability and short area quickness. Killed the short shuttle and the three cone at the combine. Did he ever? Like setting records type speed with that three cone stuff. And yeah, he definitely has the quickness. Speed can be a bit of a question mark, but not the quickness. And as we saw in some of the cutups I showed earlier on the channel, it's... Um, Quickness can get you open, especially from the slot. Quickness can be enough. Thank you, Radu. Snails is JSN comps Percy Harvin. Uh, can't go there. Percy was like a 4-3 guy. And, and, uh, and also a really raw receiver. Ball skills were a little bit rough around the edges, whereas that's not the case. I think, I think JSN's a little bit opposite of Percy in certain respects. Logan says JSN reminds him similar to Cup on technique to get open, not athleticism, which is they don't lack in, but they aren't exceptional in. JSN knows how to flip a defensive back around and keep the defensive back off of him. Well said. Smart route runners. Yeah, I agree. That same thing Cup has. That's the same thing I saw too from him. Save the, Save the Geese says, remember, this is JSN's first NFL training camp. He'll get much bigger and stronger as the years go on. He's already got the pro route tree. He does, or as Steve Smith said, Save the Geese, he's got a doctorate in route running. And he is already showing you that. That is for sure. Herbicide says, who's going to be the punt kick return guy? Punt return guy is hard to say, Herbicide. I think that they're still basically trying to determine that as we stand right now. Kick return, I think, is going to be solidly either DJ Dallas or Eskridge. Punt return could be any number of about five different guys. I mean, they've even got GSN back there returning punts, which is not what I really want, by the way. Not really looking for that. But uh, I think... I think Dallas probably settles in as the kick returner. Danny Boy, sorry, we don't got any updates on any of the running backs. I'd love to give you a, a bit of an update, but everything's still kind of up in the air. Uh, it looks like Walker day-to-day, week-to-week, whereas Charbonnet, there seems to be a bit of more of a question mark on that one. Ethan says, another brilliant impression, Brando. Thank you, Ethan. <laughs> Bud says, with new ownership, hope Washington changes their name. Hate saying commanders. I, I feel bad for saying I want the skins back, but I, I kind of want the skins back. I never looked at it as like something that was a, I know it's like touchy subject, but I, I kind of like the legacy of the old name myself and the old helmets. I don't know. Logan, uh, they simply aren't the same kind of players. JSN is a route technician on the inside players. Yeah, I just the, the, the Harvin JSN ain't there. I can't get there either on that one. Yeah. Save the Geese, not sure if I 
want to watch this year's hard knocks. Rodgers plus the Jets is a hard sell to me. Nothing like able, uh, nothing like able about the team except for the ex Seahawks. Yeah, it's, it's there's some tough personalities on that one with the two. Uh, you got the sauce out there, and he'll be certainly telling you about how good he is uh, a lot of the time, I'm sure. Um, so we'll see on that. Jets are an interesting team this year from the standpoint of hard to pin where they're going to land, save the geese, as far as is this a playoff team? Is this an elite team in the AFC? Or is this a team that's just not even going to be, but barely maybe even not close to knocking on the door of the playoffs? I think they've got a wide variance on where they get end up landing this upcoming year. So, um, yeah, I'm not really amped up to watch. Hard Knocks has kind of been diminishing returns in recent years from an entertainment value anyway to me. So it's not really a big thing I'm missing on as it stands. You'll get the good clips on Twitter that are worth watching and all the rest of the minutia of the show that you don't, you can avoid, you know. Um, Radu says, what would happen if you turned DK into a slot receiver? Uh, he'd be less effective, Radu. You know, the the thing with DK is he's, he struggled, of course, the three cone. He, he didn't run, basically. When you look at the combine, he excelled at the things JSN didn't. And JSN excelled at the things that DK didn't. And so if you tried to put him into that slot, whereas JSN is well accommodated to play slot because of that quickness and that short air burst, you would have DK get a little bit exposed in that area of things in a way you wouldn't want him to. You can event, you can every once in a while put him down there, but you wouldn't want to do it 24-7. Spuds Mac, do you think Eskridge will actually play well this year? He's not getting JSN hype, uh, but he ain't. Ain't hype makes me laugh. He's getting a little bit of hype. Just buds Mac, you're right. It's not GSN level. I don't know what he's going to do because I don't know if he's going to be able to stay healthy. Um, I want to see him on the field in preseason before I make some determinations about whether he makes the team or not. He's truly only a slot guy. He's not really a guy that plays much of special teams. He's got to make this team that's going to be as a receiver and what he does in that area. And that's the part where he's got some stuff to prove. And it's an uphill battle and it's no certainty that he makes the team in that respect. But he has looked good in camp. He has gotten some pub. Got to acknowledge that, and uh, it's good. To, it's good to see for him. I hope it's it's in our best interest that we're five deep at the wide receiver core. I'd love to see it. Sir Snarls Barkley says, "Any chance Vi Jones starts?" There's a possibility, Sir Charles Snarls. Uh, he's been improved. He's been one of the notable names talked about on defense a couple of different times for how well he looks better. Um, Bush, though he had an interception the other day, hasn't been lighting the world on fire, and we don't know where Jordan Brooks is at as far as his timetable for coming back. So that does uh, give an opportunity here to Vi Jones to, to step forward on it. Um, I think if you get Jordan Brooks back to health here, though, that Vi Jones ends up back on the bench. So, you know, it would be a limited time, limited run. Danny Boy, any chance anyone can fill me in on any updates to the back? Sorry, Danny, there's no updates currently at the moment. Everything's still in the holding pattern where it was a couple days ago. Groin week, day-to-day, week-to-week on Walker and Charbonnet shoulder, uncertain. Connor says the Amon Ra comp was honestly the perfect comp. I also don't think that's underselling JSN either. St. Brown was underrated last season with 2.5 yards route per run, 2.5 yards per route, which was tied for seventh best last season. I don't think it's a bad thing either, Connor. I don't either. Um, and I think it's that's a pretty good one too. I think Julian Edelman, Amon St. Brown, I think those are your best, your best comps. This is hands. D-Boy says, Brandon, you may have less than 20K subs, but you have mostly true subs. You have almost no dead subs. The Hawks Nest subs are strong. Hey, we're strong. They're active. They're on the stream. I, I agree with you, man, D-Boy. I, I think uh, there's nobody that just kind of hits the sub button and then doesn't stay active in the channel or come back in on the streams. And I love it that way, man. 
just the way I like it. You know, it ain't about sub count for me. It's about community interaction and, you know, what we're building here in that respective things and just getting that bigger and bigger, especially by the folks that get what we're doing here and what we're trying to accomplish, just like how this chat's going, you know, where we're just turning over subjects, turn over the team, turn over possibilities. You know, that's, that's where I'm a, a duck on the water when it's like this, man. I love it. Love it. Hunter, Hunter's crack pipe. Yo, what if Gino wins MVP and goes off this year and next year too? Then would you reconsider? Would I reconsider? Which, what would I reconsider, Hunter? Because I'm, I'm good with riding with Gino into the future. I'm just saying the team might be thinking of picking a quarterback behind Drew Locke. You know, they could still ride with Gino, but then make a third round selection on a quarterback next year just as the backup then, but still rolling with Gino as the number one guy. I think that's the likely way that it goes. Uh, Radu says, can Jamal play strictly linebacker alongside with Bobby if Devin Bush doesn't turn out to be the guy we think he is and Brooks is not ready? I don't think he can play there full-time, Radu, but I think you can mix him in there. I, I don't think he could be a full-time middle linebacker inside, though. I think he'd get wore down and broken over the course of the year if you tried to make him do that. But a little bit here and a little bit there, yeah. Uh, remember when the Niners took a kicker in the fourth round or whenever it was? It was worse than that, HB. That was the third round. Jake Moody. Herberside, do we play more aggressive on D this year? Al Woods' complaint last year was that they wanted to protect the zone over making the play. Yeah, you know, Herberside, this is a little bit to the DNA roots of Coach Carroll. He's not an aggressive guy when it comes to the defense. Will they dial that up a little bit more this year? Maybe. If they do, will it be basically the first time that I've seen Coach Carroll do it in his entire time here, absence the start of 2020 when he would rush a five-man front with Jamal Adams coming off the edge? That's not really a high-pressure front. That's just you bringing one extra guy. It's really just not in Coach Carroll's nature to, to play it that way. You are still playing the gap-and-a-half scheme herbicide, which I think is what Al Woods was referencing, which is still in a lot of ways plays like a two-gapping system of read and react. Um, and I don't think that that's changing this year anytime soon. So it's, uh, no, I don't, I don't think so, unfortunately, when it comes to that. Uh, addicted Ox, I haven't heard of anything with Derek Young. It's been very quiet in regards to him in camp so far. Jack says Cross has been impressive in camp so far. It's good to hear. I hadn't, I hadn't seen much out on him, so it's good to hear. There's a little bit something coming down the pike. The pike. With him. Randall, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate it. He says, uh, how many corners and safeties do we normally keep? If everyone stays healthy, would Kobe or MJ be a trade chip or depth is a good thing? I lean in the direction in regards to your second question of feeling like the corner depth is a good thing. I don't know that you're going to get a lot of good value for um, any of the corners on this roster that you might put up out there. I think you're going to get you know, kind of a mid to late round pick. And for me at that point, Randall, if it's a matter of mid to late round pick for a Michael Jackson or a Kobe Bryant or a Trey Brown, I would just as soon as hold on to those guys, all of whom outside of, I think, Jackson, I've gotten still an extra year of club control, if not two years of club control, as is the case with Kobe Bryant. So I just don't think there's an upside to moving them because their value is not at a high enough spot to get you those returns back. I just don't think you can have too many corners at that point, Randall. Um, how many corners you would keep? So you would go Mike Jackson, Devin Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, Trey Brown would be your five. And then you would probably have Artie Burns as your practice squad corner as your six. Then you would keep four safeties. 
So you got your two starters, Quandre and uh, and Jamal, and you have Julian Love, and then you have um, probably Jarek Reed makes the roster as, as a free safety. So then that would lead you to then probably keeping one extra free safety being Julian, being Joey Blunt would probably be the one extra safety that you have on the roster as your special teams guy would be the the one extra guy then. So those would be the guys I would, if I was making a camp prediction, I would say, Randall, those are the guys that make the roster and who's active, who's not at that point. So I think five safeties this year, but that's just because Julian Love would be considered kind of more of your flex. He's kind of a slot corner at times, right? Pseudo linebacker at times. So it's a little bit positionless on that one, which is in, which helps them out on that side. The Hawks says, bring back the Real Rob Report, just teasing, but it was fun. I miss the Real Rob Report, man. I do too. What's up, Sajin? Good to see you in the house, brother. Hope you're doing well. Warriors, come out and play. Spaces, Native Americans disagree, B. I don't know. I've heard some different, differing opinion on that. But if they keep the name, they keep the name. I'm not railing on it too hard. It's a general take. Logan, I, only, I feel the only way JSN can play outside is for developing routes, not man beaters or zone beaters, but on plays crossing over the middle to pull open, similar to Lamb in Dallas. Lamb has 4-5 speed. I can see that, Logan. I, I, don't, I don't think he's ever potentially really a main guy that's going to work on, like you say, out there 24-7 on the outside at any point in his career. But... Um, Mixed in from time to time on a certain kind of routes against the certain type of coverage, like you say. Yeah. Yeah, I could see him eventually with what we're hearing about him. I could see it. 100 cracks pipe. Uh, would I reconsider if he's our franchise quarterback? I thought you said you didn't see him as our future. No, no, no. I was saying if the if the Seahawks didn't see him as the future. So I was more answering the question on somebody was asking if we draft the quarterback or go with Drew Locke. And I was saying that they would more go to Drew draft a quarterback of the future. Doesn't mean though they'd move off of Gino. Gino, I would say, is my franchise quarterback right now. I think with everything he's done, I don't have any problem at all putting my confidence behind him and letting him roll for the upcoming seasons. So, um, no, no. But I think what you can do on the other end of that, Hunter, is you can go and then draft your guy in the third round in this upcoming draft. You can dump out the $4 million that you have set aside for Drew Locke, and you can, you know, now you can you can have the position a little cheaper there where you take that 4 million and put it somewhere else. And you've got a young guy in development then behind Gino, not that he's got to then become the starter. You know, you can have him just there as the developmental guy where you do the green Bay route from the mid nineties, where you just keep drafting guys, develop guys, and then move them in a trade while you're rolling with Gino. So um, I'd go that route, but no, I'm fully, fully on board with Gino. hundred percent, 150%. Uh, Don, Don Ranger Power, Hawks Nest, Art Uncensored Raid. Hello, Brandon and all, and happy Power Rangers Month. Hope everyone is well, despite the passing of Paul Rubin. Sad to see Pee Wee go, man. Tough, tough loss. Tough loss on that one for Pee Wee to go, man. Rest in peace. Ha 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 Hope you're doing well out there tonight. Harper says, if Gino gets us to a Super Bowl, do you see us keeping him after year three? <laughs> yes. I, I I do see him. I do see him remaining at that point. Radu, have you heard of uh, Kobe Bryant playing safety? 
Purdy's been doing good at that position. I haven't. We had been thinking about last couple, last year a little bit if that might be eventually where they try to maybe move him over there to that. So uh, I, I hadn't heard that he's playing there, but I'm not surprised them trying him out over there. Um, I, I like it. It's good to have that versatility with that kid. He can play all over the place. And it may be too in some of this that they're showing you a little bit of their lack of faith in maybe him being able to play outside on a long-term basis by having him kind of move to those spots. Logan says, no one should be worried about Gino being replaced anytime soon until we see otherwise. I doubt very much anyone would play over Gino barring injuries. It's a waste of time to come up with theories. Agreed. Agreed. I think he was more misunderstanding me talking about the backup and going for the drafted drafted guy. Riverside takes JSN over Debo and Ayuk. Ooh, that was a bold, bold take. Guys are going after the Niner troll. Get him. Get him. No, Megan's killing the Niner troll. Um, here we go. It's starting. Niners are coming in hot. Niner fans coming in hot. Joker, is Kenny McIntosh better than Travis Homer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is he better at least away? Yeah, he's a big, better upgrade. He's got more size to him than Homer. Um, he runs more strong. He's got better hands than Homer. I mean, Homer's probably better in pass protection as a blocker, but um, all the other aspects of the running back position, I would give the nod to Kenny McIntosh. I would indeed. Michael YT, how you doing? It's good to see you in the house. And power code, Brock Purdy, Trey Lance, Maslow, good luck with that. Oh, you're talking to the Niner fan. Get him. Get him. All right, folks. Well, we're going to uh, kind of start to put a button on this one. If you have the last couple questions you want to get in, if I happen to miss it, please do go ahead and get those questions in now. Got to make a quick run here tonight, so it's just a quick in and out show. We'll be back tomorrow, though, at 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time to do and cut up on the B&B show. So we will be back one night here as me and Brandon are going to catch up after not talking for two long months here as far as doing our channels go. So we're going to have a lot to catch up on and just kind of pick each other brain about where this team's at, where it's going, what we feel good about, what we're a little bit worried about, all that in between up, down, and the other. So do tune in tomorrow. We'll be back in that respect. I think I will be trying to get off... Um, a member show tomorrow. I might have to push it off to the weekend though, as uh, I am doing a little bit of house sitting tomorrow. So it might be hard for me to get out onto that. If I can pull it off, I will, but it's a little touch and go right now at the moment where it stands. Um, Joker says, you think Drew Locke could be our future starter? Feels like Pete believes in him if he's sticking around. I don't know if he believes in him long-term. I'm Could he? Yeah, he's got the potential to do it, Joker. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I, I think there's no reason to believe that Drew Locke can't take the same kind of track that we saw Geno Smith potentially take. Where bad first start, a bad first stop, put in a position not to succeed, put in a position to fail. Can you find success if you find a position in a roster that is put in a position to succeed? Sure, you could. Can I, sometimes I'm asked to make kind of predictions on things, Joker, that are blind. And I hate doing that because I don't have a really good response to give back to you because it's not based on anything. Um, I, I saw him play through two quarters last year, really good. And then I saw a couple of really bad quarters from Drew Locke. Um, he's thrown three interceptions through the first week and a half of training camp. That's kind of all I have to go off of him with information. Um, does Pete believe in him? I don't know if Pete believes in him as much as you could make the argument, Joker, that they wanted to look at their backup position and make up that they looked at their team and said, this is a contending team and that if we have a backup quarterback that's legitimate, that backup quarterback can come back and step in for Geno and we don't have to miss a beat and we can still be a contending team that can go out there and really go and win. 
as opposed to you go super cheap at the position because you're pending the money on Geno Smith. And then if Geno Smith goes down, you suck. You're in the hole. You ain't going another step forward. So they brought Gene, you could say just as much they brought Drew Locke as having the faith in him is that they wanted to have a backup that was functional if Gino went gone, went down, which doesn't have anything necessarily to do with the long-term view of Drew Locke. I know there are a lot of folks out there, Joker, that are very high on Drew Locke. I don't quite always understand getting super high up on him. I understand being encouraged by him and liking him and all that, but there's not really a pathway for him to start here in Seattle in the foreseeable future. He is on a one-year contract. I think very likely the team is going to probably move off of Drew Locke after this year, go into next year's draft with a second, third, fourth round pick, take a quarterback there, go cheaper at the position because they're starting to pay money to Geno Smith at that point and ride it out that way. So if that's the prediction people are asking me to make on Drew Locke, where does he go? Where do you likely think I go? And I'm making this blind and it's based on not a lot of data to go off of. That's my prediction on it. That's where I would see it going. Uh, Radu, can I see McIntosh as a kick returner or a punt returner? I see him more probably as a kick returner. I don't, I'd love to think that he can do the punt return game, but I don't know if he's got as much of a track record in doing the punt return as he does doing the kick return. I dig talks, Brandon, what type of dogs are you watching in your friend's place? Uh, they're both mixed. They're both mixed. One's a small one and one's a mid-sized one. One's a, they're a bit mixed. There's a lot of, a lot of love and energy, though, that, between the two of them. Mike, uh, random topic. Do you think the Astros team should have been banned in Major League Baseball after they cheated almost six years ago? I don't think they should have been banned, but I think that they should have lost their titles. I think that they should have been individually punished. I think that there should have been a hammer swung at the Astros that was equivalent to the Black Sox and the hammer that was swung at them back in the 1920s. And uh, the fact that they didn't and the Major League Baseball went the complete opposite direction is a joke. It's a complete joke. Don't reward cheaters. And that's what Major League Baseball has done. And Bauer Diggs brought up Jonathan Sutherland as an intriguing guy to keep a tad on. Definitely looks to be a good practice squad target. I don't know too much about him. I didn't have a chance to take a real in-deep look at him um, in scouting him. But I'll go back and double check on him. Take a little bit closer look. Interesting little note there. Why do I? You have yourself a great night, man. Thank you so much. Uh, Joker, I would trade Locke. He has value. Wasn't he a former first-round pick? No, he was a former second-round pick. I don't know that there's a lot of value there, Joker. If there was value with Drew Locke, why wasn't Tampa Bay kicking the tires on him with a quarterback need? If there was value on him, why wasn't a team like the Raiders coming and looking at him instead of going back to a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo who hasn't been able to stay healthy for one season his entire pro career as a starting quarterback? The league has kind of told you on this joker what his value is. I've got to be honest with you. There's a, I'm not saying you're this way, but there's been a decent amount of the Seahawks contingent of fans that put a really kind of a weird high value on Locke in a way that I don't really understand. I like him. I'm not down on him. but And he could very well go out there and flourish if he's given a second opportunity somewhere. But even at the same point in time, I mean, the amount that he sometimes gets referenced, he's a backup quarterback that's not likely to see the field. And down the road, maybe he can step up. That's great. But the, the rest of the league doesn't, doesn't view him in the marker of there's really trade value. I think the only way that that could occur, Joker, is if there's an injury somewhere in the league and you get a team that becomes desperate for a starting quarterback, and then they really are willing at that point to, to try to make a trade. But even if that were to occur, I don't know if the Seahawks would do so 
Because as I said on this, on the original point with this, the reason I think he's signed here is not because of Coach Carroll's unenduring love for him and that he sees this guy as the golden child to the future. The reason I think that they signed him to the one-year $4 million deal was to have an adequate backup for a 32-year-old starting quarterback. That's the reason that they do that. Because there wasn't a market out there for Drew Locke. There wasn't anybody else out there gonna, that was going to over and go past the money they were willing to pay for a quality backup from their standpoint. But paying money for a quality backup is not the same thing of seeing the guy through a viewpoint of also being a future starting quarterback for a team. Um, I don't, it doesn't mean it's not the other way. It could, it could be the other way too, but there's, it doesn't, it's not an indication of that, right? So if I base stuff, I've got to have indications of it. There's a trade market. What are we basing that on? Have we heard rumors of their team interest in Drew Locke? Did he have any kind of heat on him in free agency? No, no, and no on all that kind of down the line. And so I come to the conclusion going, there's just not much there for him to do it. Uh, Megan, how is Pumpkin dealing with the fact you're sitting? Uh, she's not going to be happy with it, Megan. Not going to be too happy with it, that's for sure. I totally agree about Locke. Gino fan since the first game after us got out. And I like Drew Locke. I'm not being anti-Locke, but it's just... I swear, I probably get asked about him about four or five times every single stream. And I just kind of am at a point where I'm starting to shake my head a little bit on this one. And I'm, I'm like, I get it. People like this kid. And it's a lot, it's easy to root for this kid. And, you know, he did have the same situation Gino had with the Denver Broncos. But Gino's here now. And unless Gino fails or Gino gets broken, that's the only pathway for Drew to get onto this football field. And it's really going to be likely what happens is Gino plays the whole year. Drew's backing him up. Drew then goes into next offseason and hopes he has a little bit of a warmer market as far as starting opportunities throughout the league to go and compete somewhere. Um, maybe he comes back here still as a backup at that point on a real low-end contract, but I don't even know if you bring him back at that point at the $4 million deal with the $3 million incentives you have set as it stands right now. I, I think you'd probably go back even lower because Gino's deal starts to click in more thoroughly next year. The cost starts to go up on Gino's deal, which means you can't afford as much to have the backup quarterback that you're supplying at $4 million a given year. Um, Joker says, I would, I would say Seattle could draft a quarterback next year, but it depends on how it is in the 2024 NFL draft. This is also part of what I'm calculating into my process on this Joker, because of course I've already gone and looked at the quarterbacks into next year's draft. The thing that stands out to me about next year's draft is it's loaded to the hilt with guys that will be in there from the second through the fourth round. You're going to have about 15 guys, maybe lower than that, 12 guys through those three rounds available to go draft a quarterback who's got talent, not good enough to be a first round starter worthy guy. And uh, this will be the last few questions, by the way, folks, I got to wrap this up. So let's, we'll cut the questions on this note. No more, no questions. We're putting, we're putting down the shutters on this one. I got to get to those dogs. Um, but you've got a, a crop of quarterbacks that's uniquely for this next year's draft deeper from round second through four. And if the team's fitting Joker to the blueprint that they established last the last time they ran through this, where you took a Russell Wilson in the third round, when you already had a Tavarius Jackson on the roster, if they're going to try to replicate the blueprint to the new, and you're in a given draft that's a little bit thicker and a little bit deeper with the quarterbacks from the second through the fourth round range, I just logically conclude at that point, rather than spending the $4 million on this other quarterback, we can get an equivalent talent, a younger talent, a cheaper talent, and just have to take them merely like in the third, fourth round, and uh, we'll be just fine. And we still got Gino at that point, kind of carrying the day. Uh, DJ, how would I rate our development system? It's good. It's 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 good. I don't think it's great, but it's good. It's got some holes in certain places, and it's got some stuff that they need to get better in others. So um, you know, wide receivers they seem to train relatively well, but you have your Eskridges also on the other side, your Swains, um, and that enough. There's like, eh, is it good? It's okay. Um, 
it's good. It's a part that could probably improve over the last few years. So uh, I will say that it could probably improve. Megan, do you think Drew would have been QB1 if he didn't get COVID-B? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't like, I, I love all questions, Megan, but I hate when I got to answer a question that I have to just sort of base on nothing. Like, let me just pull like, I mean, do you have a, do you have a slot machine and I can pull that and then whatever answer the slot machine kind of gives me, I'll give you as far as an answer. Cause I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Before he got COVID at the last part of the game, he had a turnover and Gina was having guys drop balls all over the field in training camp, but he wasn't having turnovers caused. And so I, 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 I'm going to just go out. I don't know on that one. I really don't. Cause I, I don't, I, if I answer questions, Megan, I want to be answering it on something I can base it on. I haven't seen Drew Locke play. I've got like three quarters of him playing. One of those quarters, he's throwing interceptions all over the, two of those quarters, he's throwing interceptions all over the place. Another one he does fine until the last play of the game where he's a fumble, where he misses the blitz on the backside blitz that he should have picked up. And he admitted he should have picked it up. That's not a lot of data to make any kind of basis off stuff. So it's, this is why I get a little prickly about it. Cause it's like, why are we wondering about things that I can't have any way of knowing? I, I, how would I know, you know, like it's, in, it's an impossibility to know where Drew is really as a player, except for the coaching staff who has probably a good view. All right. Uh, Megan, fair enough. You didn't expect an in-depth answer. Uh, just know how you feel about it. No worries. Uh, Danny Lang, time to talk. Brandon thought, uh, thought that's loomed to flu. So, uh, okay. Long time. No talk, Brandon, a uh, thought that's loomed in the last few weeks. No matter the season that Gino has, I think John goes and gets his quarterback the future next year. I don't think Caleb, but panics. I don't know who it'll be. I, I think that Danny, they fit more to, like I say, the third round approach and, and definitely let's cut, cut on the chat. No more on the chat. No more questions. Let's go down, down goes the thing. I got to put the shutters down folks. I know you guys would want me to go all till four in the morning if we could pull this, but I can't do it tonight. This one time I got to go a little shorter. So I uh, love you guys. I appreciate the fact that you want to keep rolling, but I, I know folks get in there late and go, wait, I didn't ask my chance. I'm, I'm, I do this five o'clock Wednesday, Sundays, get in early. Cause I, we, on some of these, we can't do these at seven, eight hours throughout the course of the year as much this year. I got to split these up a little bit. Um, Yes, I, it's exactly what I'm just talking about right now, Danny. So I've, I've, we've just been going back and forth with this Drew Locke discussion for about the last 20 minutes or so. This is where I stand with it, where you're going to probably go back into the draft and take your guy. I don't think you're going to go into the first round to go and do that. I think that they're going to go and do just what they've done throughout the whole process of this rebuild, where they go back to what we did 10 years ago. How did we get success there? How did we find success there? What was the process that brought us back those ultimate returns? And then you go down like check mark boxes and you check, 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 check. You just keep going down the line. And as you go down that line, you get to the spot of quarterback and you go, okay, quarterback, what did we do last year, 10 years before? Well, we took a guy in the third round. Did we go and we give up three first round picks with like the Niners to go get a Lance? No, we did not. Did we go take a guy in the first round later on in the first round for five years of cheap club control like a lot of other teams do out there? No, we didn't. What we did is we took the later round quarterback, the second, third round quarterback, a guy that still has talent, but we're trying to build the team up. We're not trying to have a necessarily a game-breaking star running the position. So I think that they're going to slide back into that same kind of blueprint model. I really do appreciate you guys tonight watching. Thank you so much as always for the chat. I, I wish I could go a little bit longer. I feel a little bit bad about cutting this off a little bit earlier than we normally do, but 
I promised somebody I'd be uh, helping them out on this respect of things. So I got to cut this just a little bit earlier today. The good news is I will be back in an under 24 hours here over on the BNB show. We'll be running back on that. I'll be back here on Sunday. And again, for the folks that do get in a little bit later on this as a tendency, just want to let you know, we're going to be doing these as kind of four hour tight shows as we kind of go forward on this because we go to the seven hours. I know that those are fun shows, but they are killing me the next day. My brain's racked and I can't process. So we've got to kind of keep these lean and mean and tight. So I, I've got these locked in on these times. We're doing extra member shows on Thursdays. We're doing bonus shows. We'll be doing with Brendan twice a week. I'll be doing a lot of extra stuff if you can't happen to fit in there on the five o'clocks on the Wednesdays and Sundays. But it's going to be kind of a five to niner as we go forward. Kind of get locked in on that five, five, nine, five, nine, five, nine. Uh, I do want to as well, uh, thank you to the sponsor of this show, which is Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has hitched their wagons here to the Hawk's Nest on YouTube and they are sponsoring the channel. And what that means is you can go over to Underdog Fantasy this year, play in contests and games, win, get yourself some money, go head to head in these matchups. It's a fun fantasy style to play where you don't have to draft for a full season. You get a draft week to week. And if you go and you use my code NEST, they will match you for 100%, 100% of your first donation up to $100, which is a pretty good deal. So head on over there to Underdog Fantasy this year, get in on the fantasy action. See if you can go and uh, win some yourself some money, get a little bit of that extra cash, help support the channel, all that good stuff. You know, I do really appreciate it. And thank you out there to Underdog Fantasy for supporting the channel as you are here throughout this upcoming year. If you folks haven't already, we've got 121 likes on this, but we've got a lot of people in here. Do me a favor and hit that like button if you could for me, please. It does help this channel out, helps me grow and helps me show up on the algorithm. It's a very small little thing, but I do really appreciate it. I will be back tomorrow on the BMB show, but until that time, I hope you guys don't ever, ever, ever forget. Don't you do it. Don't you dare do it. I'm seeing if you forget. Don't you forget. I see you out there forgetting. You guys are always, your eyes are already looking out to the window. Don't you forget. We got ourselves maybe a championship season. We got a game breaker in JSN. Guy might be one of the best rookie receivers we've ever seen come through these parts. So get yourself type and don't you ever forget. Go Hawks.